0: to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's been manning the Total Soccer Show without me for a whole week.
1: His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. It's good to have you back, buddy. It's good to hear that brummy accent, even if it's not all that brummy of an accent.
0: Let's just go West Midlands. All
1: right. West is Midlands it- by way of Richmond, Virginia. Is, is there any Boston creeping in with the amount of time you're spending in Boston?
0: I mean, it is like three days a month. So uh-huh. what's that as a percentage? Whatever that as a percentage, that's what's creeping
1: in. I think it's a percentage, I believe.
0: It's a percentage. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think I'm going to get there. I'm going to be like Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting.
1: Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't be... I'm trying to think of the worst one. There are some bad ones out there. I'm not sure which one it is, but don't be
0: the worst one. (laughs) See, I was in Boston, all was good. Mm-hmm. I was listening to the Total Sock Show all week, but now I'm back and I've got things to say and we've got things to talk about. This could be a long show. I actually you know, hope it is a long show.
1: In honor of Jerry Stiller, Frank Costanza, you got a lot of problems with this show and now I'm going to hear about it.
0: I mean, some of them are problems, yeah. Some are just things I want to share with you, enjoy, enjoy talking about. with all right. you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, it's a whole week's worth of Daryl in uh-huh. one show.
1: All right. Oh boy. <laughs> Buckle up accordingly.
0: So gather around the aluminium
1: pool. Oh, boy. All right. Oh, boy. First
0: bit of news. First bit of news that has not been talked about on the Total Stock Show just yet. Project Restart is go, Taylor. Project Restart is go. The Premier League has voted. There was a shareholder meeting, which basically means all the clubs meet and vote. And they're planning to restart... Wednesday, June 17th uh, is going to be your first uh, Premier League games. And then from there on out, they're going to play the final nine match days of the Premier League.
1: What percentage of the time they're taking to get everything assembled and ready to go do you think was dedicated to the names that they're going to use for this? Like Project Restart, was it initially Operation Restart? How do you think it worked?
0: I think I think they were like, what's complicated? Splitting the Atom was complicated. Project Manhattan.
1: <laughs> there we this go. This is
0: pretty tough. Let's call this Project Restart.
1: Okay, perfect. I like that theory. Well done, sir. All right. I'm I'm working with that as being gospel truth now. Let's roll.
0: (laughs) So it is worth noting this is the Premier League's plan. The UK government is behind it, provided that things continue to be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. The the UK government has sort of like five measures. Things are opening up a little bit in the UK. But this could all go away. Right. If, If things turn around.
1: Yes. I mean and that is the thing that they that has been included in every single report. And I think it's usually near the bottom because it's kind of a bleak It's the least exciting part, right? It is. It's like, oh, but it could all (laughs) still change. Like because you know, it's a pandemic. But let's let's work
0: on the basis that this is going ahead. The first games we'll get to see will be Wednesday. June 17th uh, when you'll get Manchester City versus Arsenal which Mm -hmm. is a great game Um, and Aston Villa versus Sheffield United which has stakes right because Villa are fighting relegation and Sheffield United are trying to beat Wolves to a Europa League spot so Mm. you know let's go Villa
1: yes and with all of that salesmanship you just threw in there I do enjoy how often the headline is Premier League to return with Man City v Arsenal (laughs) it's like sorry Aston Villa (laughs) Sheffield you did your best (laughs)
0: <laughs> so the, the reason those games are being uh, put out first mm-hmm. is that that would equalize the uh, the games played, right? Because those are a couple of games that had been suspended. Um, after that, everybody will have played 29 games. Mm. Everybody will have nine games to play. Uh, what other details have we got? Um, uh, that behind everybody's going to be playing
1: all the time constantly, basically? Yeah,
0: there is that, right? It's going to yeah. be nine, nine games and it's all going to be uh, nine match days and it's all going to be done before August 2nd. And they might even squeeze some FA Cup in there as well so it is going to be wall-to-wall premier league i'm going to guess we're just going to cover a lot of games right we'll have a lot of match reviews maybe a lot of weekend reviews um there'll be all kinds of stuff to cover
1: and i don't um, i don't know if anybody specifically has a birthday on august 2nd but i feel like the premier league did this so that whoever does have a birthday on august 2nd could sort of have the day free to not have to worry about soccer
0: <laughs> well i think it's to do with getting everything in order so that the uh the UEFA spots no it, it's about me. It, right? it's about me It's about, yes, No, that's your birthday. I'm sorry. I I really thought you were saying that there was like someone who works for the Premier League who wanted the day off on August 7th.
1: I was wondering if you had gone with me on that one. Uh, No, but then the the published schedule for matches has them kicking off like at 8pm, 12.30pm, 3pm, 5pm. A a lot of ranges there that you don't usually get
0: sailor you're mm-hmm. giving the uk times people ah, don't need yes, to I know am. that in the u.s we're, right. we're five hours five hours behind all right, right? So, so 3 p.m
1: seven thirty yeah. a.m uh 10 10 a.m it's going to be a lot of ranges so if you're working from home but maybe keeping one eye on the tv you'll have some accompaniment and some entertainment
0: yeah i mean here's the way to look at it so mm-hmm. on fridays you'll probably get a game 3 p.m mm-hmm. Eastern. Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, you might get a couple of games. 3 p.m. kickoff, maybe a 1 p.m. kickoff in the middle of the week or, or on Thursday. Then Saturdays and Sundays are where it's at, right? Because you're going to have um, a, a really threatening early... of soccer, yeah. Yeah, you're going to have early morning, mid-morning, afternoon, mm-hmm. um, and late afternoon on Saturdays. Yep. It looks like they're really going to spread these games out. The idea being to give broadcasters value for money. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's plenty, plenty, to, uh, plenty to put on TV. In the U.S., we haven't seen an official announcement yet from... NBC Sports, but I'm gonna guess that most games will be aired by NBC Sports because the games seem somewhat staggered, right? So there's mm-hmm. not much overlap. And anything that isn't, the the, the big thing is we're gonna see will those be put on like C N B C or will those games be on NBC Sports Gold? I don't know if they're gonna prioritize putting things on TV or making sure that people won't feel shortchanged by paying what, fifty, sixty dollars yeah. for NBC Sports Gold we'll we'll find out I don't I don't think there's a right choice where everybody's going to be happy uh, but maybe more games, more games available
1: on TV is better. I mean, I I know there's not a perfect choice where everyone's going to be happy because we've already seen a lot of sort of cynicism and skepticism about some of the aspects of this plan. And I think this is where this will not be the last time I say this on this show. I guarantee you that. We have to remember that, like, this is a very strange time. It is unprecedented in terms of trying to bring all these leagues back and figure out how to make competitions work and figure out how to make formats work. And yes, there is going to be some pragmatism. There is going to be this idea of we want as many games on TV as possible, so we don't have to pay as massive of a penalty as we might otherwise have to have and and you want as many eyes on it as you can get so yes it is sort of commercially self-serving to make sure that all the games are televised but also simultaneously it allows people who are stuck at home more games to watch more consistently so like yes you can be cynical and see the kind of business side of these things but i think if you want to do that you can I, i am tending to look at this as like yay more soccer and a slight return to normalcy i will take that for sure
0: yeah, I mean, for us, it's more football to cover, mm-hmm. right? And just to, uh, since we're getting into this, it's worth mentioning that, say, uh, my dad is in his 80s and he's been like really not going anywhere because that's been the UK government guidelines is like he can't even go shopping, right? My mom goes and does the grocery shopping instead. I've been phoning home every single day during the pandemic just to check in, see what's going on. Um, every single time I've spoken to my dad, he said, There's no live sport on TV. There's no live sport on TV. When the Bundesliga started, it's on a channel that he hasn't got. So he's still saying there's no live sport on TV. He is thrilled that the Premier League is coming back. He is going to be sitting there really happy, cup of tea, watching these games after two and a half months of, you know, uh, having not much fun day to day. So I am, there's, value, there's value to the British public, is what I'm saying.
1: I mean, that is all valid. I am reeling from the revelation that you speak to your father every single day. You are a, a good son who enjoys, or at least is, tolerates being on the telephone. Well done, sir. Well done.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like a good quick 10-minute chat on the phone. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, catch up, know what's going on. It's also okay. good to stay informed about what's happening with my entire family.
1: So so, so my, my second Seinfeld reference of the episode, so you're not doing the full-on, like, you were right about, and you know who I bumped into. You're not doing those. You're not doing the full on catch up uh weekly briefing you're sort of like getting to it seeing how things are and moving on
0: no yeah it's more, to be honest it's mostly um me explaining why the things my parents have read in right wing newspapers <laughs> are not correct <laughs>
1: Oh, that's a fun thing, huh? But politely, no. But politely, yeah.
0: it's it's not a contentious conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. All right. Worth noting: these mm-hmm. games will be behind closed doors. Right? Yep. No fans. Obviously, the Bundesliga has really set the standard, set the example of what is possible and and what's going to happen. Um, the one weird wrinkle in England is that you need um, you know police approval for these things to go ahead, and the police have requested neutral venues yep. for certain um, either derby games. Um, um, or essentially games where there might be title celebrations. So the police have requested neutral venues for Man City versus Liverpool, Man City versus Newcastle, Manchester United versus Sheffield United, Outlier. which is an interesting one, Yeah, Newcastle, Liverpool, Everton, Liverpool, the Merseyside derby, Plus, any games where Liverpool could win the title might be played at neutral venues. What, what I, I envision... feel a little weird about that. I I agree with Rory Smith, who's been very um, vocal, the New York Times soccer writer, about maybe we should just trust football fans to do the right thing because they've been part of the British public, which have mostly been doing the right thing for the last two months.
1: I uh, I mean, yeah. I, I think I think anytime you're relying on trust and faith over like. Uh, a guarantee of action. Maybe there can be some uncertainty, and that's not what governments like to do. Uh, But yeah, I I think that you can sort of like to, especially if you're going to resume the season, like I guess that's where I kind of draw the line in terms of cynicism or skepticism. It's like if you're going to resume the season and then be like, oh, but we're worried about a team winning the title and what that might do. It's like, well, you're kind of resuming the season. That is the natural outcome i believe so to then be like well we don't want people congregating so they need to play i think all the moon is where liverpool are gonna have to play i believe i read that somewhere (laughs) i also enjoy this list of fixtures it really is sort of they were listing it and by the end they're just like liverpool we're worried about liverpool because they're gonna win the title and we know there's gonna be massive celebrations like they tried to cover it with a couple others like city newcastle yeah sure united sheffield okay i'm sure that's a big one it's mostly i think liverpool fans going out to celebrate in mass is what they want to avoid
0: is United Sheffield maybe about Champions League qualification? Like, the, like there might just be some high stakes there in terms of Champions League qualification. And that's why it's on the list. And if not, if so, why are there no Wolves games on the list? I think yeah. the, the British police don't think Wolves can qualify for the Champions League.
1: Sheffield is considered Northern, right? Yeah, yeah, it's in Yorkshire. Maybe they just they thought there'd be like a uh, a northern derby, a northern battle. They couldn't have it. They couldn't have a winter is coming-esque uh, battle in the north.
0: <laughs> I believe Sean Bean is a Sheffield United fan. Oh, see, here we go. 100% sure. Here we go.
1: Um,
0: but Anyway, what we can say, it looks like <laughs> games are coming back June yeah. 17th and then pretty much wall-to-wall after that. You're going to get some Premier League. We will, of course, be covering it on the Total Soccer Show. Mm. Um, I- also coming back... Serie A has yeah. said it's coming back June 20th. And even before that, you might get some Copa Italia. Um, La Liga will restart June 11th. So pretty soon, there's going to be more football than we can handle.
1: Yeah. I, I like that you, you texted me that. I'm like, oh, we're, we're going to need to gear up. And then it was the realization of like, no, that's just a normal week. <laughs> like we're not even at the full capacity because we don't have <laughs> uh, Europa League or Champions League to deal with quite yet.
0: Are we, can I assume that we're going to sort of go all in and cover all the big games, because they will be happening every day.
1: You don't have to assume it, because it's what's going to happen.
0: It's what's going to happen. We've also got um, the NWSL Challenge Cup is happening. Mm -hmm. If you want to hear all about that, listen to Taylor's interview with Meg Linhan. Actually, mostly with a crow um, in the garden that Meg Linhan is, (laughs) but Meg's in there as well.
1: She is. It it sounded as though she had inserted background noise of (laughs) being outside in nature into the call, which I did appreciate. I like that the crow wanted to be on mic.
0: So it looks like NWSL are going to do this sort of World Cup mm-hmm. style thing. And MLS are also proposing this. If you want the details of that, listen to um the last couple of allocation disorders. Mm-hmm. Major League Soccer, not fully happy <laughs> that the uh the writers at the athletic had access to no, all the information. No, they're not. <laughs> That's just evidence of what good journalists Paul Tenorio and Sam Stechko are. Um there was news today, Taylor. I don't know if yes, you saw this there at was. the MLS Players Association. Agree, like essentially agreed to certain terms that MLS had proposed and they've agreed to a six-week tournament if it takes mm-hmm. place in Orlando still a bit more negotiating to go but I think that MLS in Orlando thing's gonna happen
1: I mean I think it's it's contingent upon certain things relating to the CBA and what agreements can be struck and, and how many things can be ironed out in short order but it yeah, does but feel like we're that, moving towards that you put that. that
0: at the bottom of the yep.
1: story yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, along with things could change. Yeah, yes. I, think, I think you're right. So it does feel like we're going to get uh, a tournament in Utah, a tournament in Orlando, the return of somewhat normal soccer to a lot of other leagues. Uh, we, we, yeah, we're going to have a full schedule coming up pr- pretty soon. We were worried we would have a, a dull summer in the end. It seems like we're going to get everything jammed into one month. So let's yeah. make it happen.
0: It's not Euro 2020, but it is a lot of European soccer and some North American soccer as well.
1: That is true. I, I have to note on that moment, I, I did get bummed out today because I was like, oh, we're like roughly two years away from the next World Cup. That's really exciting. And then I remembered, not happening in the summer, and I'm bummed out again about Qatar.
0: <laughs> well, two and a half years, right?
1: Uh, That's what I'm saying now It's uh, because I thought it was two years and I realized it's going to be another six months. I don't I don't really care for that. I don't like that. Let's move in the summer. Let's make it happen.
0: More on the 2022 World Cup in just a moment. But first, Taylor, today's show is sponsored by Hawthorne. Hawthorne is a new ish sponsor to the Total Soccer Show. I think this is like completing their first week of sponsoring the Total Soccer Show. Here's what Hawthorne is for. If you want to smell good, you need to visit Hawthorne.com co if you don't know how to choose your own cologne or you're confused about like which which uh, face wash, which soap, yeah. uh, which antiperspirant deodorant is right for you? Hawthorne has got you covered.
1: And here's where I, I do I do like it because you have that quiz that sort of helps you select products and recommends things that would work well for you. It recommends packages as well. And like I do know, like I've got sensitive skin, I've got some eczema situations, and like you know, you got to keep that in mind. You can't just have a bunch of additives and weird like scents and it can cause problems. So, and sometimes it can be hard to find the uh, the right stuff you need. So just by saying like this is the type of thing I have, can you can you find a way to help me deal with it? They do just that, and it makes it a little. Little bit simpler
0: i will say i am not a fan of a quiz mm-hmm. but this really was quick it was a two minute quiz and it was easy to answer but i'm normally the person that says no to the survey you know what can saying? i
1: can i give you a quick quiz to see if you're if you are pro or anti-quiz depends how long it takes daryl how do you feel about quizzes
0: uh come see come sir
1: yeah okay that puts you in like the like i'm okay with it to negative uh colin i don't know <laughs> if you knew that or not but that's my expert research
0: so you can take the two-minute quiz um, at Hawthorn.co, and it will let you know like which cologne is right for you, which antiperspirant is right for you, which face wash or uh, face lotion is right for you. Also, Father's Day is coming up and you can take the quiz for someone else right just take a look at your father's face decide does he have dry skin does he have sensitive skin and you can take the quiz on your father's behalf and then hawthorne will recommend a cologne cologne's always a good father's day gift right um, it will recommend the type of cologne that you should be getting your father for father's day but take what a if... look
1: at your father's face
0: i mean how else are you going to do it
1: uh, <laughs> via zoom if you have to <laughs>
0: If you don't want to pay full price, though, you can get 10% off, Taylor.
1: That's right. Uh, you can go to uh, hawthorn.co, uh, hawthorn with an E, dot co, com, uh, and you can use our promo code, which is TSS, to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorn, H A W T H O R N E dot co, and use the code TSS to get 10% off your first purchase.
0: That's hawthorn.co. The link will be in the show notes in case you didn't hear us say it all those times. <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> all right and on that note daryl let's talk about uh some more news that we missed while you were away shall we talk at concacaf World cup qualifying
0: yes so this is sort of news mm-hmm. right um this is the type of news that i am looking for on twitter this is the reason i'm on twitter um so not maybe a month ago maybe a few weeks ago uh victor mantaliani the concacaf president who's canadian uh, was on one soccer which is a canadian streaming service and he said the hex can't Probably can't go ahead as planned. The hex with six teams for World Cup qualifying, essentially because there aren't enough match windows. Right, it's a group of six, uh, which means every team plays ten matches. There just isn't room in what's left of the FIFA calendar after coronavirus to get this done. Right, so that's the base news. Then the news that came out, I want to say a couple days ago via a Panamanian TV station website, um, yeah. RPC. As you do, it, it's mm-hmm. looking like we're going to have um three groups of four teams each. And the top three, uh, the winners of each of those three groups will qualify automatically for the World Cup. And the best runner up from those three groups will face a playoff against a sort of best of the rest of CONCACAF tournament that we don't know how it's going to be structured. The big question, Tyler, is how does this affect the USA? Because that's what everybody's thinking about,
1: right? Yeah, and, and and the assumption would be that based on the FIFA rankings, it would be Mexico, United States, Costa Rica are the, uh, the top three seeded teams, so they each go into their own group, and then it's whoever we draw, however we draw them, uh, but it would then kind of put the United States into a favorable situation and that we don't have to play Mexico and Costa Rica, but then there is also that added risk of, as we've talked about with, say, African qualifying, that if you don't win the group, then you're sort of just done.
0: Well, I mean, in African qualifying, if you do win the group, there you, you have still have to face a playoff, right? Yeah. So at least we don't have that. If, if we win the group, we do go through. I would say the actual risk is, if you look at it as um, essentially four different buckets from the, mm-hmm. the 12 highest ranked teams, you've got Mexico, USA, Costa Rica, and then say the US, the US is one of those groups, right? Then say if it does go seed by seed by seed, then you get either Jamaica, Honduras, or El Salvador. Mm-hmm. Um, Honduras and Jamaica, teams that you know we, we can't just brush aside. After that... Canada, Curaçao, Panama. Mm -hmm. You know what happened last time we played Canada. Um, After that, Haiti, Trinidad, Antigua and Barbuda. Wait, didn't we
1: beat them the last time we played them? Oh, sorry, the
0: time before the last time. I'm just saying Canada has not necessarily been easy for us. It would be be a big deal if the U.S. was in Canada's group, right? It would be um, the reigniting of the
1: emergent rivalry. It would not be my favorite thing, but that said, as you said, if you do break it into those kind of three and three and three and three, Curaçao, Panama and Canada... I don't really know which of those I would I would more prefer because they're all tricky in their own way.
0: I prefer to play Panama, I think, because they're at the end of their yeah. sort of golden generation, uh, whereas Curaçao is like playing a Netherlands C team, and it was yeah. a little tricky when we did it in a Gold Cup. And Canada's a genuinely... Dangerous game, which we should win, but also Alfonso Davis.
1: Yeah, Daryl, I don't know if you've heard about him, but he's very good, and I am scared of him. So yes, I, I would like to avoid Canada. I do think, though, in terms of like the overall structure, I understand why there's some reaction to this and there's some negativity. I reiterate my point that we're going to have to be flexible and deal with it. Yeah, and I just, think
0: there's not enough windows no. to play that much international football, right?
1: No, and I think the other sort of like option would be what you just take the top six teams and put them into the hex, and then that's it. Like that's certainly not fair to the other. 40-some, like, like uh, member states wait, in CONCACAF.
0: Wait, but how's that the other option? There's, then there's not enough match windows to play the Hex. So that's the point.
1: Right, exactly. I'm saying, like, there, there was, like, I've seen people be like, well, why don't we just do, like, single games against, like, sometimes you're on the road, sometimes you're home, and you can do oh, it that way. Like, but I think if you look at it, that is... Pretty harsh from the standpoint of, like, you're not kind of getting, like, the home and away fixtures, but then you do also immediately leave out some of those teams we mentioned, like Canada, Curacao, and Panama, because they're not in that top six, whereas if you get 12 teams in there, you put them into groups and you kind of do it that way, you're at least giving a decent percentage of the confederation direct opportunities to qualify, and then the other nations that would be in normal qualifying eliminated, like, two and a half years before the tournament starts, at least they have something to theoretically play for, which is not much, but it's something.
0: So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's honestly not worth debating what's a good idea and what's a bad idea. I really feel that way because I think that's the the troublesome future in like a in a coronavirus world is everybody's just trying to get things done, right, mm-hmm. and and make things happen. And I prefer to look at this as is this better or worse for the US's chances of qualifying for the World Cup. I would argue it makes it slightly trickier because you. Can't, you can only afford like maybe one or two screw-ups, whereas in the Hex, you can afford a few more and you can still finish third in the Hex and go through. You know yeah. what I'm saying?
1: Theoretically, unless you continue yeah. to screw up throughout the rest of the Well, qualifying. if
0: you finish fifth, you go nowhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, I, I take your point, and I think I would be more concerned about that if the last round of qualifying hadn't already happened in which in which we kept having that argument of like, yeah, but it's really hard to not qualify because you have so many opportunities to pick up <laughs> points and make it happen. And then we didn't. So to me, it sort of is like, well, maybe in a condensed time period where you've got some players who are ready to go and you've got your core squad. Berhalter knows the way he wants to play, more on that later, uh, then you maybe can feel a little bit more confident. Maybe not a lot confident, but a little bit more confident. And it's worth noting that you should never feel totally confident when it comes to World Cup qualifying, because it is, at the end of the day, qualifying for a competition. It can go one way, it can certainly go the other.
0: I've also seen some reports that CONCACAF still wants to finish off the CONCACAF Nations League. Yep. If you remember, we're in, the, we're in the semi-finals. It was supposed to happen basically early June, right? It's obviously not happening right now because there's no way people are traveling, traveling to play international mm. football. So it may be that we get the CONCACAF Nations League uh, like Final Four, which is at least two games, mm. um, f- whether you win or lose as the warm-up uh, for the sort of mini-hex type thing that we're going to be doing. It can't be a mini-hex when there's not six teams, but you know what I'm saying, for yeah. the uh, for World Cup 2022 qualifying in CONCACAF. So it could be that we get to play against, like, uh, what, Honduras or Costa Rica and then maybe Mexico. So we'll get those tough games and then we'll have the uh, the group to to go into. I, I'd be happy with that as a US national team fan yeah. um, as a sort of competitive warm-up before we go into it.
1: If the Nations League is completely, like, like, they just don't end up finishing it. Does that hurt your enthusiasm for it overall, that it is a sort of competition that when it came down to it, they are like, nah, that's not that essential compared to other things?
0: Not really, because maybe you'd just be pushing it back to another year, right? Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what they did with Euro 2020. So it's not as if um, Euro 2020 being pushed back hurts my enthusiasm for the European Championships.
1: Yeah, I think you said it does. I think you said if it's not played in an even year, you don't want a part of it.
0: You know that that's not
1: true. I do. I also know it is. The, it is the truth uh, that CONCACAF has also postponed Olympic qualifiers, obviously for the Summer Games, which are now in 2021 in Tokyo. That's another one that they're going to have to reschedule and figure out how they want that format to work. So we've got Nations League, and Olympic qualifiers, and also CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Uh, lots for CONCACAF to figure out. Uh, let's 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 give them our blessing and hope that they make it happen. <laughs> well,
0: at the very least, we've got a bit more of an indication of how Greg Berhalter mm-hmm. will be playing. I think there's news here that's somewhat underreported for yep. U.S. men's national team fans. I'm excited about it. In an interview with Portonorio for The Athletic, um, Halter definitely, there's a quote in there that to me unambiguously says mm-hmm. that the 4-4-2 mid-block is on the way out and the 4-3-3 they defended in against Costa Rica, which was like Liverpool style where the mm-hmm. wingers funnel people to the middle, then you've got three central midfielders ready to, uh, ready to win the ball that that's what's going to be happening going forward with the U.S. men's national team. You've seen this quote. Do you agree with me?
1: That that's what we're going to do? Or that, that it's that's that what, momentous?
0: That, that's what he's saying he's going to do? Yes, and I, and yeah. I would
1: have agreed with both of those things. Number one, okay. that that's what he says he's going to do, and number two, that it's a very exciting development for sure.
0: So if you'll permit me, I'll read the quote so people can hear it. Um, I hope The Athletic aren't mad if I'm gi- giving away free words, um, but you should subscribe to The Athletic to get things like this. Um, this is what Behalter said to Portonorio. What we moved towards in 2020, you saw in the Costa Rica game. This is the game, February first, 2020, the game with Ulysses Jonez and all that. Um, a, dy- a dynamic three in midfield who can cover ground, press in a four-three-three, aggressive. That's the key part to me because before we did not press in a four-three-three; we sat like in a medium, like mid-block four-four-two right? Um, we're leaning towards using really dynamic players to cover the top three. And then you can start imagining guys who can cover ground, win balls, and arrive in the penalty box as decent for that profile.
1: Can we, can we break that down a little bit, that second part? Because I, I, I do find myself slightly confused. We're leaning toward using really dynamic players to cover the top three. Is that him saying, like, to use as our front three? Is he saying to cover the opposition front three? Like, what do you make of that?
0: So I do know that the context of this quote mm-hmm. is Norio asking Greg Berhalter, um, what type of central midfielders are you looking to gotcha. use, Right. Okay. So that's the context for the entire thing, right? right? So I really dynamic players to cover the top three, to me, um, says that he's talking about the central midfield three, um, who are underneath the the top three? You know, which would be gotcha. like you know Altidore, Pulisic, Giorena, or whatever,
1: whatever you want it to be. But, but that's specifically what you want it to be, I think. Um, specific, yeah, then it is. the second, <laughs> the second part fight of that, me. then though, is like, do, do, did you say fight me?
0: Yeah, if you disagree.
1: <laughs> I mean that would be uh not respecting social distancing norms we have to fight each other with like go go <laughs> gadget a, extender arms i think yes, that's from the rule. A distance, yeah. <laughs> um, but then like i could see tyler adams ticking a lot of those boxes i can see weston mckinney i don't know if this is just me being ignorant uh it could well be but does jackson you tick those boxes for you uh not in that very specific description
0: but i think if two out of three of those guys play like that then then i think think he can be dragged along with everybody else
1: I do like the idea of him not wanting to be specific as to like we're leaning toward using two out of three really dynamic players (laughs) like that wouldn't work so well
0: but here's the thing I don't think that the makeup of the midfield three is the most important thing here Yeah, I think the quote that I'm excited about is that we're going to press in a 4-3-3 oh okay Again, what we saw um, against Costa Rica, instead of sitting back in that four four two mid block, yeah. which doesn't do anything to win the ball back unless we can like force them to go long
1: well, which no, only no, no. sort of half the time. We get the ball back when they score and we get to kick off. Well, that's okay. when the ball comes back in the in the low block, four four two, mid-block, four four two. Yeah. That's how now, I don't want to
0: say it was a total disaster, but it wasn't very proactive in terms of winning the ball back, right? Nah. But what like I know that people would have forgotten this because this game was a few months ago and it was not a high profile game. But the US went out and basically played the defensive shape that Klopp has Liverpool play, where the wingers funnel the ball towards the midfield and you've got three ball-winning central midfielders um, ready to win it back. I mm. think that's a much more exciting, proactive way for the US to defend and then transition and attack. Uh, that's why I'm excited about this. I, and I, really, yeah. I wanted to share this with our listeners because I think it's going underreported.
1: Yeah, I would agree, and I would agree with your sentiment. I would just say I had it reversed only in that I was most excited that we were done with the four four two mid block because yeah. that was not my favorite thing, and it never really made sense, and it never seemed effective. So I'm really happy that we're done with that, and then I am pretty happy that we're moving into the four three three Liverpool style because that does seem like a thing that he has the personnel and the familiarity with that personnel at this point to be able to uh, to execute uh, at least adequately.
0: Well, here's the tricky part. Mm -hmm. The the players that he had doing this in January camp and in February are obviously not the very top tier US men's national team players, right? It was a very youthful roster. It was with an eye towards the U23 Olympic qualifying Mm -hmm. tournament. So there is a thing of if he's planning to do this, the first time the squad meets up with all the senior players, it will be new for all of them. I'm sure they've been getting video clips about it. I'm sure they've been getting emails and WhatsApp messages and instructions about it. But we would be teaching a lot of players this, system, this defensive system sort of, not from scratch, but from early in the process once we all meet up again for international football.
1: Yeah, and maybe we you and I, like I I sort of mean this sincerely, like need to come up with a shorthand explanation for this because what that's gonna mean is yes, they're gonna have to catch everybody up, but it also means there will be players who probably should be if you're going from like a FIFA video game standpoint, like they will have the rating that means they should be in the squad, like they are that good. But if they play in a slow defensive system that's not built on possession, they're not going to be involved. Like you can't you can get some people up to speed, but there are other players who, though they are very good fundamentally just don't fit this style and I think especially with the abbreviated timelines we're going to be working on it is going to be Berhalter kind of emphasizing the people who fit that style and that's where we're going to have to get really good at answering basically like don't fit style not in system
0: (laughs) it's going to might be a return to the group.
1: Yeah. Right? But mm-hmm.
0: I'm still excited because I think it fits the profile of Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, like Christian Pulisic on the wing pushing people inside instead of being part of a 442 defensive shape. I actually think this is going to work for the US men's national team. The the proof will be in the pudding, as we say mm. in the UK. Uh when international football uh if and when international football finally gets rolling again. Uh um,
1: since you've used that I, phrase. Yeah. That's got to mean poison, right? Like the proof of the poisoning is in the pudding? Like what else could that mean? The proof that it's pudding? Like I don't need proof of that. I know what pudding is.
0: I, I don't know. I, I feel like you inserted the word poison and that's where the poison came from.
1: No, I'm just saying like what else could it be? Like the proof of what is in the pudding?
0: Um, I So I don't know the etymology of that phrase, but let's go with pudding is like dessert, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously. Um. I would say that it's when you're like putting all the ingredients together. You don't Mm -hmm. know what it's going to look like until you've baked it. And you don't know what it's going to taste like until you eat it. So the proof will be in the pudding, I assume,
1: is like, we'll know when we finally eat it. There's a possibility I've been watching some period piece like court dramas. So maybe that's where I'm coming from with the poisoning uh, side of things.
0: I will guarantee (laughs) Greg Berhalter is not poisoning any of the U.S. men's national team players. You never know, man. If he does, (laughs) then he should be replaced immediately with Jesse Marsh. Um, I and the good news about Jesse Marsh is he just became, you could argue, the first U.S. born and raised coach to win a trophy in a European league.
1: Oh, man. There was a lot of, like, sort of clever wording to, like, specifically explain that well, sentence that you just so said.
0: So, because Brian Shiretta has an encyclopedic mm-hmm. knowledge, yeah. he pointed out that there is a U.S.-born coach who won the League of Ireland with Cork City. but that coach I'm sorry I've forgotten his name but he was born in the US then moved to Ireland when he was a kid and grew up there so he was basically Irish with an American passport but he won the League of Ireland with Cork City Mm -hmm. whereas Jesse Marsh is US born and raised right? so that's why I'm sort of thinking of him as the first American coach to go to Europe and win a trophy because the big news is Arby Salzburg I didn't even know Austrian soccer was back but it is Arby Salzburg played the Austrian Cup final and they beat Austria Lustenau. 5-0 in the final. And then you saw Mm -hmm. Jesse Marsh and his team, all socially distanced, lift the Austrian Cup.
1: It it, it was pretty terrific and awkward uh, and fun. Uh, Yes, so they did win that. And I think that... Is the return of of the Austrian League, that you have that cup final and then I think the Austrian League resumes on June 2nd so it feels like this was their way to kind of kick it back off. uh, Nice, you
0: start with the final and work backwards from there.
1: Mm -hmm. Did you other see (laughs) the the, the key bit of of news from Austria and the Austrian Bundesliga?
0: Yes, it's good news for RB Salzburg, right? As well as winning the cup, um, LASK L-A-S-K, Linz, who were leading uh, the league, right, they are ahead of RB Salzburg, have been deducted six points for conducting team training sessions in violation of coronavirus pandemic restrictions.
1: Also fined 75,000 euros for, quote-unquote, breaking the basic idea of fair play.
0: Wow. I mean, Jesse Marsh won't care about the money, right? But he'll definitely Uh -uh. care about the points.
1: Yeah, the six points would be nice, yes.
0: It puts RB Salzburg in the driver's seat. I do want to add just a little bit of um, dampener to this. RB Salzburg have won the Austrian Cup seven of the last ten times now. So (laughs) it's an achievement, but it's not unexpected.
1: I mean... That is true. That is definitely true. I will always go back to lost two of his most important players in January and yeah. was still able to like find a way to kind of keep the team going, keep them focused. They win silverware. Like uh, for, the, for it, those
0: wondering, it's Erling Haaland who yeah. went to obviously went to mm-hmm. Dortmund and Minamino who yep. went to Liverpool. So he lost. Yeah, he did lose two really really important players.
1: Yeah, and so like. Daryl, you know that I'm fond of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There's the episode where the captain is like panicking and making everybody do all this extra work. And it's because the numbers have stayed the same. And the counter to that is like, yeah, but they historically dip when you have a new person come in that they have kind of continued the same means that that person is still kind of performing well. And so to me, it's like, yeah, if he did the thing that is expected, then he still did the thing that is expected. So I'm good with it.
0: OK, you've convinced me to say congratulations there we to go. Jesse Marsh on winning the Austrian Cup. Also, I watched the goals and congratulations to Dominic um, Shabashlai mm-hmm. for that free kick to open the scoring. Because that was that was nice. It was like a cheeky, wide angle free kick that he put in, inside the far netting.
1: All right. So uh, w- one more time, his name, Daryl, just say it real quick. Uh, Dominic Shabashlai. OK, yes. Uh, everyone's favorite. Everyone's favorite. Dominic Shabashlai. Hey, I really mean
0: this. He probably will be in the future. Yeah, of right? course. <laughs> this is the point of RB Salzburg. <laughs> yeah. These are young, up-and-coming players. You're going to see them playing for Leipzig or playing in the Bundesliga elsewhere yeah. or playing for big, big teams. I, you, it's definitely worth looking at the Salzburg team and thinking: here's a bunch of guys in their early twenties who are probably going to be big names. So yeah, learn to pronounce learn to pronounce Dominic Zibushlay now because you might have to pronounce it a lot more in the future.
1: It's like, uh, yeah, he'll play for a Bundesliga club or one of like the two English clubs who have noticed that the Austrian Bundesliga and specifically RB Salzburg has become a feeder club for for the players that they then buy four years later for 15 times more than they should have.
0: I mean, there's what? There's Hasenhutl at Southampton is like Uh somewhat Red Bull involved. And then you've now got Ragnik, I think. I don't know if this has happened, but he's still rumored to be... Um, taking over in a coaching slash uh, directing role at Milan. So you might get RB Salzburg players popping up over there mm-hmm. as well. Um, Red Bull keeps spreading its wings, Taylor. Red Bull keeps yeah. spreading its wings.
1: And 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 also, uh, first of all, well done. Second of all, and also on the managerial front, because Marco Rosa has done very well at, at uh, Gladbach this season, and we could see him also maybe get some other opportunities. And I think uh, Jesse Marsh, that's the speculation as well. Have success there, show you can do it, and then you get another job at a bigger league.
0: Yeah, that yeah, that's definitely what could happen to Jesse Marsh. And he might have the League and Cup double to show for it, thanks to LASK making some yeah. very bad decisions about how they did their team training sessions.
1: And it's a silly it's a silly thing to like Like really emphasize here, not silly, but it's like I don't hope this ends up happening. But the reason why this is really big is because as we've been talking about, things can change. We saw uh, the the massive uptick in South Korea; they had to close schools again, and like it does make a difference that at on a very like basic sad level, if they did have to cancel the league again, last dropping those points because they broke the rules means that Salzburg would win the league if they went that route. So like it does have an impact potentially, or at the very least, puts them into a position where they can have a bit more flexibility and feel slightly less pressure.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right, we've got listener questions to come, Taylor. But first, today's show is sponsored by Podiumware. Podiumware is a custom team apparel manufacturer in Minnesota that is turning the world of team soccer kit ordering on its head. They provide custom designs in a full line of soccer apparel all made to order in their St. Paul factory. In normal times, we talk about how great this process is and how your experience ordering for your or your kids' club team will be made infinitely easier by podium wear. But these aren't normal times, Taylor. And because of the COVID-19 crisis, podium wear has started making face masks for you to wear while you're out and about, maybe on the sideline of a soccer match um, or even during your own workouts.
1: Mm-hmm. And my assumption is that you could still probably contact them about having some kits made for you or your kids' clubs. But yes. then obviously you can, you can more readily, more easily look to them for uh, designs for masks and the like. Because we have seen teams start to embrace that. You're getting those kind of team branded ones in the Bundesliga. Occasionally you still get the kind of light blue, white mask. But for the most part, I feel like we're getting club-branded face masks. So why not embrace that trend yourself?
0: Yes, if you want a a custom-made mask uh, with your own design, you can contact PodiumWear.com, and they will set that up for you. Mm -hmm. You can also maybe think about if you're going to have a kit made in the future for your team or for your kid's team. um, PodiumWear.com, definitely the place to go. It's family-owned, super friendly, super easy to work with, and based in the U.S. All the facilities are based in the U.S. So by supporting PodiumWear, you'll be supporting American manufacturing jobs mm-hmm. and no no secret that jobs are going to be at a premium <laughs> at yeah. the end of this crisis
1: yeah and that is kind of where i am with it is like it's it's an american company creating an american product for american consumers obviously people elsewhere i'm, I'm guessing they would ship internationally if you ask them to uh but i think that is a thing that i'll probably keep in mind our team might need some new jerseys maybe we'll have to look at podium wear and see what they can do for us because i don't know if we can improve upon the incredibly creative uh all black jersey with black shorts and black socks
0: I mean, it's pretty sleek. It's pretty sleek. Uh, But if we are going to upgrade, we could go to PodiumWear.com. We could get a custom mask made. We should also bookmark them uh, for when we're ready to uh, order our next soccer kit. That's PodiumWear.com. Check them out today. And thank you to PodiumWear for sponsoring today's Total Soccer show. Are you ready for listener questions, Taylor? I'm going to say... You should be, because it's been far too long since we did this.
1: It really has. We've got a lot of questions to get to. Obviously, this is going to be a very long show. I'm not breaking breaking any ground here by saying that one. But yes, I'm excited to answer the many, many questions we've got in store.
0: And if anybody wants to ask us a question, it's totalsocccershow.com slash questions. Totalsocccershow.com slash questions. I'll put a link in the show notes. I want to encourage people to ask us questions. It gives us, um, basically, it gives us an excuse to talk about things that we wouldn't otherwise think to talk about, such as this question from Josh Nagy. Mm-hmm. Josh asks, why is Olympic soccer so much more valued in the women's game? than the men's game for example Mm -hmm. the men's game in the Olympics is under 23 whereas the women's is completely open age I've got the very short I believe authoritative answer to this Taylor but I want to hear what you have to say first
1: I mean you kind of already hit on it which is simply the biggest one would be that women can send their full teams uh, so then you are getting like another high standard of international soccer on the women's side whereas with the men's side as you said you're getting younger players but then I think also uh, on the men's side international soccer is like sort of secondary to club soccer. Like, the World Cup might be the outlier there, but again, you don't get, like, the best soccer when it comes to the World Cup. But in terms of pay and prestige, reputation, I think the Olympics definitely a big part of that for women's soccer, and so I think that factors into it as well.
0: So I took Josh's question to mean, why is this the case, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why is the, for example, the women's tournament, there's no age restrictions, it's the very best teams, everybody wants to win it, whereas the men's tournament is very much secondary in international tournaments, right? Yeah. And the answer I have for this Uh is... The men's Olympic soccer was deliberately devalued for many, 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 many years Mm. because FIFA didn't want it competing with the World Cup, right? right? That's why they put restrictions on it. Men's Olympic soccer has also been going a lot, 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 lot longer, like going back to the 1920s, there was men's Olympic soccer. Women's Olympic soccer wasn't introduced until 1996. So women's Olympic soccer was added much later to, to Olympic sports. But at that point, the Women's World Cup wasn't big, right? It wasn't a big commercial venture. So FIFA didn't care about it being a commercial rival. So that's, in my opinion, that's why uh, women's Olympic soccer didn't have any restrictions on it.
1: No, I'm good with that.
0: Do Would you agree with me that maybe it is time to devalue women's Olympic soccer a little bit so that other tournaments can um, take, take on more importance. For example, uh, the Women's European Championship.
1: Can you, I'm not trying to mean this in a jerk way. Can you give me another example? Because that feels like the only other one that I can think of.
0: Well, the Euros is definitely the most high-profile I could see maybe a merged Gold Cup Copa America Women's tournament that could that could happen where you've got you know Brazil, Argentina, US, Mexico, Canada. Suddenly that's more competitive than the uh, than what normally happens with the CONCACAF Championship for mm-hmm. Olympic qualifying. Um, I could I don't know, but I assume there's uh, a competitive asian women's cup right if you've got australia and japan and china there's definitely a tournament a tournament to enjoy there like but maybe the point is that if we if we devalued women's olympic soccer a little bit it could raise up the profile of all these other regional confederation tournaments i'm not i'm not fully sold on my own idea here i'm kind of raising it as an idea
1: what I would prefer is if you had those competitions matter for the Olympics because, like, for the for um, European teams, wasn't it, like, the three top finishing teams at the Women's World Cup automatically yeah. qualify for the Olympics? Like, it was. maybe make the Euros qualify for you the Olympics. Maybe make the Asian Games qualify you for the Olympics. And that's how we go. And then you kind of get... Those things individually being very important, but then feeding into uh, like the major competition that are like the second major competition aside from the World Cup, because I do like uh, women's Olympic soccer more so than men's. I'll say that for sure. Uh, But it's a thing that like I know we're going to get the top players going to that. And I do enjoy having that in the summer at the Olympics.
0: Oh, maybe we just don't need to meddle with it then. How about that?
1: I, start, if you want I'll to medal, you can medal away, my friend. You always love new competitions. Why not? I do.
0: I do. I think nothing's ever perfect. And international soccer especially can be, can be tinkered with to, mm-hmm. to make things better.
1: Yeah. He's a, he's a tinker, that Daryl Grove. He's a tinker. <laughs> or maybe uh, even just
0: expand, expand women's Olympic soccer so there are more teams in it. Yeah. So it's not this weird thing where there's only three European teams going
1: I would have no problem with that. I think then we've talked about this before. Then you run into the issue of like more athletes, more hotel rooms, more space, more facilities. But I'm fine with that still. We we can find a way to make it work. Build a new hotel. People always have to build new hotels.
0: Build a new hotel, Tokyo. Um, All right. (laughs) Next question comes from uh, Uh Karim Rahim Mm Tullah. Karim Rahim Tullah asks... Who is the best player in CONCACAF? Yeah. I think there's only one answer right now, Taylor. Uh, well,
1: I think it's important to look at, like, there's who is the best, and then there's who is in the best form, and the answer is the same. It's Alfonso Davies. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: it is, right? Yeah. So
0: no other CONCACAF player is starting for Bayern. No other CONCACAF player is about mm-hmm. to win the Bundesliga. Um, no yeah. other CONCACAF player is... In the same form, week in a nope. week out, as Alfonso Davies, he scored today, Taylor. He scored today as Bayern took Eintracht Frankfurt apart. Uh, no, sorry, Fortuna Düsseldorf apart. Yeah. Uh, Five 0 Yeah. Um, you could maybe you could make an argument for Christian Pulisic, but he's so been in and out of the Chelsea team, and honestly, Chelsea are just not quite at the level that Bayern Munich are at right now. You could maybe make an argument for Raúl Jiménez.
1: That was my other one. Yeah.
0: Even as a Wolves fan, though, he's playing for and outside the Champions yep. League places team it's like an aspiring team right and he's brilliant yeah. for Wolves but the, I'm even as the the most devoted Wolves fan alive which I'm not but if even if I was you could not make an argument that Wolves are a more high, high profile team than Bayern Munich
1: no, you you couldn't, and so you. I think it does. Then you could maybe throw Tyler Adams into that conversation, but that's another one where like you can't guarantee he's going to be starting, and even you if you can, you can't say for sure where he's going to be starting. Yeah. Whereas like Alfonso Davies, you can you can say if Bayern are playing Chelsea, we know Alfonso Davies is going to be starting at left back. We do not know if Christian Pulisic is going to be in the squad or in the starting eleven, or if he is in the starting eleven, where he'll play either. So I think like that does sort of show me how strong Alfonso Davies has been and how important he is to as you said a team that are going to win the bundesliga so i think for those reasons and then obviously for him backing that up with just actual very good performances there are certainly still some shortcomings that he can develop but he's very very young i think he is the best player in cock and calf right now
0: we could maybe revisit this conversation when yep. like the premier league comes back and hopefully christian pulisic apparently is fit right so maybe we see him Playing for Chelsea and like uh, like making those slashing runs from from left like into the penalty area and scoring maybe there's a conversation to be had there and it's not just a recency bias of like I saw Alfonso Davis play this afternoon and I Mm. saw him last week against Dortmund it's definitely like his body of work from January to now right even with the interruption you have to go with Alfonso Davis over Christian Pulisic.
1: I mean, and that may that may well change. Things do change, uh, but like if you look at Pulisic's uh, 2019, like he doesn't ve- play very much for Dortmund as their season is finishing. Then he has some injuries, and there's the questions about like him coming in and his fitness issues and and how much soccer he's played. Like 2019 was not a very good year for Christian Pulisic across the board. Whereas Afonso Davies kind of continued to gain momentum and grow as a player and become a key p- performer for Bayern. So yeah, I definitely don't think it's recency because if you're saying recency, we're talking about the last year and a half. I'd say day.
0: And there's also just the idea of like I've seen Christian Pulisic like I've seen him beat players and go go around players and blaze past players in the Premier League and it's really exciting. I've also seen him just get knocked over and bullied a little bit. Alphonso Davies I have seen do all of those things in terms of dribbling at people and create chances and score goals, but also really hold his own physically and knock
1: some people about. Yep. Mhm. Yeah. So also, there is that. Also fast, yeah. Also fast. I don't know. Yeah. You know I
0: mean, that. they're they're both fast, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, true, true, Ryan true. Ryan Downey Ryan mm-hmm. Downey has a sort of similarish question who would you rather have in your favorite club squad? So I'm assuming that's Wolves for me, Man United for you. Mm-hmm. Um, Diego Lanes, Christian Pulisic or Alfonso Davis. And I assume that what Ryan has done is taken what he assumes to be the best young players or maybe the best players um, on the Mexican, US and Canadian national teams.
1: As a Man United fan, there, there's an argument for Rao Jimenez. I would not hate Rao Jimenez at Manchester United. But I think I, I'll be honest and say, I don't think I've seen enough of Diego Lenez lately to feel confident saying where he would fit in or how he would fit in. I think for Christian Pulisic, uh, there's the injuries that we, that I already talked about. There's also, as I've said before, I kind of don't want, uh, Man, like Man United to have the responsibility of developing Christian Pulisic Cause if that goes <laughs> south, it's more reason for people to hate him. So, or hate <laughs> Manchester United. So I think it does end up being Alfonso Davies for me, not just for the reasons we mentioned but also because he does fill areas of genuine need in that i have questions about luke shaw going forward but then also he could be like a very fast and, and attacking winger he could go the gareth bale route i think he's already very good so he has that quality and most importantly he likes brooklyn Nine Nine, so <laughs> i feel like he would entertain some people and, and be a good locker room presence as well
0: uh, am i right inside man united still need a left back as well Who who's the left back right now it's luke shaw or
1: luke shaw and then brandon williams
0: yeah there's not like a. There's not like an Aaron Wan-Bissaka, is there, where you've definitely like said this is the guy for the future? No. Nope. There's, still, there's still a chance for a huge upgrade there, and Alfonso Davis could be the guy. And like you said, he also could very much contribute to the attack if he just played left wing or something as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that makes more sense than, I think the current uh, approach is to just squint really hard at Luke Shaw and picture it being a world-class footballer, and then that's the way you go.
0: It could work. It could yeah, work.
1: It could. We'll see what happens. What about you? Who would you like to have at Wolves?
0: I, so honestly, if I if I could wave a magic wand and make this happen, I'd go with my heart and go Christian Pulisic. I Because I have would. been desperate for a long time to have an American. Um, I mean, Owen oh, so is there, but to have like a high-profile American starting at Wolves every week. Because it's what I do every weekend, right? I watch Wolves, and then I essentially watch U.S. players in European leagues. Um, and I would love for those two things to dovetail and to have, uh, you know, Wolves fans singing Christian Pulisic's name. He, the problem is, he would be great in the three four three that Wolves play. He would essentially play the Diogo Jota position, like left sided forward, with Jimenez in the middle and Treore on the right. But Wolves chop and change from that three four three to a three five two, and when they go to the three five two, I don't know that there's a spot for Christian Pulisic. Like, he's not going to play left wing back. No. He'd have to be like the second forward playing alongside mm. Raul Jimenez. And it's not, it's just not something that he naturally does, right? So, the reason Alfonso Davis would make a lot more sense is he could play like left sided attacker. He also, I presume, could play left wing back like Johnny Otto does for Wolves. He would fit much more. He would probably improve the team a lot more because he's a superior player to Johnny Otto. So, my head says Alfonso Davis, my heart says Christian Pulisic.
1: All right, I'm going to throw in you one more. Diego, thanks for playing. I'm going to throw in, yeah, right. I'm going to throw in one more for you though. We are talking about this off air. How would Weston McKinney fit in with Wolves? Do you think he'd fit in or would that be a problem? I think he wouldn't
0: be guaranteed to start, but I think hmm. he could win a starting spot in that Wolves midfield. Yes. Um I yeah, I think he would fit. I would love to see him there. I don't think it would be bad for his career to go
1: there at all. Oh, oh, you don't think Schalke's going well?
0: I do not. Actually, <laughs> I mentioned to you before that I'd been listening to the Total Sock Show all week, and I now have a very—I have a lot of empathy, and I very much understand the people who listen to the show and email us their opinions about things we didn't talk about or things mm-hmm. that, like, they were thinking that we didn't touch on. I have a lot of strong feelings about what's going on with Weston McKenney at Schalke. That even though you you guys talked about it multiple times from really interesting angles, I was especially interested to hear what Manuel Vape like thought in terms of good clubs for McKinney to move to. He said Leipzig and Hertha Berlin, right, were, were good options. What I see with Western McKinney, and I watched him this morning. I think he I,
1: said Leipzig. I feel like you might have just uh, tipped your hand there.
0: I said Leipzig and Hertha Berlin. That's why I heard Manuel say.
1: I think he might have just said Leipzig is what I'm saying. But either way, we can move. We can I will
0: move. guarantee that he said Hertha Berlin as <laughs> well, because right, he right. said that they're a team that's like on the up and looking to spend money. But isn't like already really established like Dortmund or Bayern, right? Okay. I'll, I'll right. bet you. I'll bet you good money that, that he mentioned her Berlin as well, uh, but more like in passing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so what I see when I see Weston McKennie play for Schalke is, especially when he's in that sort of distributive midfield spot, is a guy who is looking to make passes and nobody is moving. I yep. see Schalke and I see a team that just has no attacking movement no attacking pattern no attacking plan and Weston mckenney is a young man in a hurry to make something happen right so i and i've heard a couple of people mention that like like mckenney's not good at passing a football i 100% disagree with that i think he's just forcing passes that aren't on in a desperate attempt to make something happen because he's he's that guy right he's the make something happen guy and so he's forcing things that aren't on and like, he could play a more boring game where he just keeps passing it sideways. But he's trying to force it through to, um, to Bergstahl or, or whoever is up there. Um, sometimes. So I kind of I think
1: sometimes he plays too fast. And I think that's like, I don't know if this factors in. That's why I'm, I'm interrupting for a moment to yeah. hear what you think of this factors in. But like, I saw him like those first, uh, what, what's the game where he has two mistakes in the first 10 minutes?
0: Um, that was the recent Schalke loss to either Freiburg or Augsburg.
1: Yeah. But in either one of those, like, he gives the ball away because he's trying to play too fast. Like, yeah. he's trying to, like, ball coming in, he's facing, like, back to uh, opposition goal, and he tries to play, like, one touch diagonally into space ahead of him, and, like, there's just an attacking, or, like, an opposition player there. And I think this, this incorporate like like it can be incorporated into what you're saying but like would that be the same thing of like he's trying to get the ball forward he's trying to make something happen but in that case it's not even forcing a 40 yard long ball it's sort of like trying to get the ball moving really quickly even playing out of defense but then he's doing that too fast
0: that's exactly what I was saying yeah he's just trying to make something happen I don't mean like Hollywood Steven Gerrard type balls I just mean like trying to break a line or Mm. you know trying to get it like into attacking midfield or trying to to get it out wide and I just don't see any like attacking pattern of play in that Schalke team. And I, I think that's the problem. I think maybe McKenny needs to, in a weird way, take less responsibility mm-hmm. because I feel like he's putting it on his shoulders and really forcing it and it's making him look bad, essentially. I it, mean, and I'm, I'm not saying he's making good decisions. I basically think he uh-huh. should calm down.
1: Yeah, I agree. But it's also like, you are saying like one of two things, which is either the entire team is not trying to play like any sort of possession soccer. The entire team isn't moving or Weston McKinney is trying to make something happen because David Wagner can't. Like, it kind of has to be one of those two things if you are going with, he's doing what he needs to be doing.
0: This is my other point. I heard you talking to Ryan when you reviewed the previous uh, Schalke Mm -hmm. game. Oh, no, it was this. It was this Augsburg game, right? And I heard you make the point that like, you think Wagner actually is a good coach because he did really well at Huddersfield. And what I remember at Huddersfield is they made a big impact in the Premier League when they first came up because they had this really sort of intense pressing style and they would force turnovers and score that way. But as soon as Premier League teams figured that out... It seemed to me that Huddersfield had nothing to offer for like the second half of their first Premier League season. That they had that great start and then only survived relegation by the skin of their teeth, right? And then the next season they were just horrible and got beat up. And Wagner eventually resigned, saying, "I've got nothing else I can, I've got nothing else I can do here." And watching Schalke um, closely these, these last few weeks, it seems to me like the whole plan is some sort of pressing game to try and win the ball back high. And then we score from that. But then when they have the ball, there just seems to be absolutely no ideas, no creativity, mm-hmm. no movement. It's just a lot of players standing static, waiting for something to happen. And I, I kind of put that on Wagner, I think.
1: Yeah, That's fair. And, and I want to respond to what you said, because that's not quite what I meant. And I, I don't think that's quite what I said, to be honest. But I, what I mean is that with Huddersfield, we saw this coach who basically was able to get a team that we all expected to get relegated to stay up for a year. And then they yeah. ended up getting relegated, obviously. But it's a team with, with very limit, li- limited money, especially compared to every other team in the Premier League. I think they had, like, the next lowest-spending team still had double their budget or something like that, as I recall. So I think when he went to Schalke, it felt like, OK, here we go. This is a coach who we know can organize a defense and get players playing and get everybody on the same page and make something happen... And so going to Schalke, he's going to have obviously more money and more resources. And the thing is, is that not only was that not obviously the case, it was just not the case. And so I think that's what it's been for me is sort of the realization of like, oh, he's actually not getting more resources. And so they are sort of relying on him to be that manager who could figure out a way to make Huddersfield stay up but he really doesn't have the resources now and maybe doesn't have that level of buy-in from the squad from a year of playing in the lower division together. So now they're sort of without answers and he's just sort of trying stuff. And that was what I was trying to say to Manuel is basically that I'm going from like, oh, he'll get it right, he's a good manager, to like, ooh, was he the right manager in the right situation and this is not the right situation anymore? That feels slightly more likely these days.
0: What I'm arguing is that maybe David Wagner mm-hmm. is kind of a one-trick pony in that his trick is to figure out a really... Mm -hmm. Um, aggressive pressing style. And when we see all these different formations, they're essentially built around uh, trying to press in different ways, right? And I think, again, like going back to the Huddersfield thing, it worked for Huddersfield for a little while, but once teams figured that out, there was just nothing else to offer, right? And so I think the same thing has happened at Schalke, where um, he had a decent start to the season, right? But now they're now they're plummeting. I think they're tenth yes. after I don't, after today's defeat. I don't think David Wagner is very good at getting any type of players to play in an attacking system.
1: I also don't see how. As while we're having this conversation, I don't see how he lasts much longer because this doesn't seem like it's getting better yes he's working with limited resources as Manuel said like he does not have a goal scorer. that's kind of a big deal but the the really worrying thing to me is I feel like we keep seeing different stuff from game to game sometimes it's a back three sometimes it's a back four sometimes Weston McKinney's a six but now he's more into ten but now he's over here like I feel like people keep getting moved around and you might think like oh that's good he's experimenting he's trying to figure out something that works but if you're doing something every single game that's different from the game before it to me that's more so like, oh, you just have no idea and you're just throwing stuff and seeing no, it sticks and his, nothing is sticking.
0: Here's my interpretation of that with the different formations and the different shapes is that the goal is just to like go and do some pressing. And the, the formation that you see is a shape that's just designed around how they're going to press. That's why I'm arguing that it's kind of like a, just a one track, one trick kind of thing that everything he does is built around that because there isn't there isn't anything else going on with that team.
1: Okay. I I think I don't see them as, like, dedicated to the press as maybe as much as you do. I feel like I've seen them at times not press and not be consistent in that approach. So if you're going from a they they press like pretty well and he seems to be putting them in that position, then maybe that's that's a perspective that I haven't quite seen because I, I feel like it's more of a, yeah, we'll do this today. Oh, that didn't quite work. Right, we're going to do some of that but something else different and we're going to do something else different but some of it the same the next time. And but, it feels like it just kind of keeps changing a little bit.
0: But the attacking, but even though the shape changes, the attacking, like... uh the movements never seem to change, right? It's always just like fullbacks stand out wide, uh, central midfielders run up and down. There's no like like interesting interchange of like the number nine coming deep and creating space for someone else. There's never enough movement to make uh, to make anything happen. And to bring this all back around to, to Weston McKinney, um that's why I actually I've come to think now that I just want Weston McKenney to leave Schalke. Yeah. And I think Wolves will be a better place for him because essentially uh, the coach Nuno has a plan and he could probably communicate like, here's what I need you to do. And I think Weston McKenney would be pretty good at picking up what's supposed to be happening and would be able to contribute. And I, I kind of think anywhere would be better than Schalke at this point. Anywhere he's going to start would be better than Schalke at this point. And just for American eyes, I think we're all sick of watching Schalke basically. <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah. Today, the, the game, uh, la, like last week, really did that for me, although I did try to watch the Bremen game and then fell asleep after about 15 minutes of watching it.
0: Yep. Yeah, Not That's just not, not enjoyable soccer, right? And they end up losing that game
1: 1-0. But you know what else, Daryl? You know what else it does? What's that? It makes me feel a little bit anxious. It makes me feel anxious about the future of Schalke, the future of Weston McKinney. Is that and right? And sometimes when I feel anxious and, and uh, I need to relax, Daryl, I, I might need a little bit of help.
0: Do you imagine him transferring to Wolves, or do you turn to Sunday Scaries?
1: <laughs> uh, Sunday Scaries. I don't oh, care about Wolves.
0: <laughs> I do both. I do both. <laughs> Sunday Scaries are sponsoring today's show. Thank you, Sunday Scaries. Mm-hmm. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that are super consumable and easy to take on the go. Taylor, remember, first time we talked about Sunday Scaries, mm-hmm. I thought that maybe I wouldn't be able to eat the gummies Yes. because of my ostomy. I thought things might get clogged up. I did some research. I was 100% wrong. So
1: uh-huh. I've been
0: eating these gummies. How's that going? It's going great.
1: So you you did around. you did the road trip from Richmond to Boston and back. Did you take them on the way? Did they help with, with dealing with travel anxiety or do you not usually get that anyway?
0: I, I don't get travel anxiety. Honestly, I don't get a lot of anxiety, but mm-hmm. what I do use any CBD products for is usually about focus, right? Normally just about not getting distracted. So I will like happily eat, like say, two or three gummies, which is what's recommended on the packaging, uh, before I do some research for Total Soccer Show stuff because it will really help me drill down on what I'm supposed to be working on and not get distracted by my phone.
1: All right, didn't <laughs> I get distracted by your phone? Yeah. So you're not doing the research on your phone? Is that not clear? doing the
0: research on my phone, not checking Twitter and then wondering, why am I checking Twitter? That's just some weird habit. Um, so CBD helps me stop doing that.
1: So sometimes I feel with CBD that it's, it can be almost like an intensifier. Do you feel like it does that for you? Like if you're in the mood to do research, does it yes. help you do research? But if you're in the mood to like watch a TV in an in-depth way, would it help you do that as well?
0: Yeah, I think focus is the word, right? Helps yeah. you focus, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I go. think if you are someone who suffers from anxiety, then as I understand it, CBD is very good for helping you to chill out and decompress. I'm assuming maybe for the same reason. Like, Does it help you focus on the thing you're doing and not let your mind wander to the, wander to the things that make you anxious?
1: I am not a scientist, but I will say, sure, that sounds good.
0: (laughs) You're no brain scientist, but that sounds right.
1: Right. I am no brain scientist. I am no Leo Spaceman slash slash (laughs) (laughs) Pachevin. But what I do know, I I, I am a mathematician, and I know that getting 25% off your first order is ideal. And you, listeners, can get 25% off your first order with the code SOCCER at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code SOCCER where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. So
0: you can go through and find out what product might be best for you, um, including the bath bomb, which I heard you talk about the other day. I didn't even know about that. I assume that just you put it in the bath and it absorbs through your skin right um, go to sundayscarys.com and use the code "sucker for that 25% off thank you Sunday Scaries, for sponsoring today's total soccer show we still have many questions to go taylor
1: we do. And we also have our third Seinfeld reference because uh, to, to what you just said, there's the episode where Kramer gets the burn and then he puts a bomb on it. And I remember as a kid watching that and being like, why are they putting a bomb on him? Like, that doesn't seem like it would do anything. That seems like it would hurt a lot more. Didn't know it was B-A-L-M. And I've learned that now. Oh, and that's what it is when you're putting it in the bath.
0: I just learned that as well. Is that is that you very, um, very politely correcting me on that?
1: No, I genuinely I, I couldn't hear the difference. I just oh. When you said, like, put a bomb on, I was like, well, uh, maybe not that way.
0: I thought it was bath bomb, B-O-M-B, but it's bomb, B-A-L-M. I, that's, that's, that makes more sense. Bomb makes you calm.
1: <laughs> let, let, let's hope. But thank you to Sunday Scaries one more time. Yes, Daryl, let's answer some questions.
0: All right. I've noticed that I've been asking all the questions so far. Are you still cool with that? It's like a weird a weird uh, pattern I've established here. Um, if so, I didn't realize I hadn't asked one. Yeah, huh, well, I'll, I'll ask you the next question then. It's from right. Robert Cordova. Robert mm-hmm. Cordova wants to know, Which soccer leagues do Daryl and Taylor think has the best looking trophy? I'll be Mm. honest, Taylor. This is one of those things where I hadn't really thought about it. So I had to do a load of Google image searching for for reminders of what various trophies look like.
1: Yep. Um, And I will say that my favorite sports trophy of all is Lord Stanley's Cup. I think it's the best one. It's not even close. That does inform my selection when it comes to soccer leagues. I would say Premier League is number one for me. And I don't think that's just because it's the one I watch the most, but it is number one for me for sure.
0: I think the Premier League is hideous. It is ostentatious. It's got like that horrible spiky crown on it. I do not like the Premier
1: League trophy. I mean, you basically just said you don't like the Queen. So that's on you now. That's what I heard. But it's got that because I like that it has things... But see, that's actually why I do like it. Not the gaudiness, uh, but the the idea, like, you've got the Lions in there, you've got the crown. I feel like it does sort of have a representation of England, but then I want it to be a big thing. I want it to be a big cup, like Stanley Cup. (laughs) So I like that it has the big cup. I like that it has the built-in handles for holding. We're not talking the weird World Cup trophy, which is, I think, one of my least favorite trophies. I like the big cup. I like the handles. I like the Lions. I like the crown. I like when they attach the streamers to it for the team that won, and it makes it look that much more majestic.
0: (laughs) Speaking of big cup... I mm. really like the Champions League trophy. Um, mm. It is just big, shiny, nice handles. It feels like it's just got no unnecessary ornamentation to it, right? It's just a big, shiny trophy with big handles.
1: Uh, that Yes, I agree with you so hard I dropped the cap to my water bottle. Uh, I, I do love that. I do also love a trophy that gets a nickname and the Guardian taught me that uh, they call it Big Ears and I do call mm. it Big Ears whenever I see that trophy. Yeah. Big Ears and Eurovase, I believe.
0: Prominent handles, right? Prominent yep. handles on the Champions League trophy but I'm not sure Robert meant the champions league could be counted as a soccer league my actual favorite league trophy is the bundesliga champions bowl
1: interesting.
0: also also known as the salad bowl
1: interesting here's why i it's would not, like to know why
0: it's not necessarily because of the way it looks right it looks like a weird shield there's a bit of a dip in it that makes it i mean a bowl is
1: the question not what's the best looking trophy
0: yes but it's because when you look at it you can see the history Right, So every German champion since 1903 has their name engraved on the Bundesliga Mm. Champions Bowl. It's not the thing that has been used since 1903. I think the original thing was lost at some point, I think during the war. Um, And so when the Bundesliga started up in like '63, they started using the Champions Bowl. But even then, they sort of went back and engraved all the early winners on there. So it has the full scope of uh, German soccer history on there. Even better... Because they've stuck with it, they've had to enlarge it twice. In 1981 and in 2009, they made it bigger to keep accommodating more and more names. Apparently, there's enough space for all the champions until 2026. And then they'll have to make it even bigger. And I just love that bit of history about it. That's going to keep expanding and expanding and expanding until it's this giant thing that's almost too
1: hard to lift. So I didn't... I don't like the the look as much of the Bundesliga trophy. I did not know the name thing and that is the other aspect of the Stanley Cup that I enjoy so much is they carve every winner into it, yes. uh, every team that wins. So that does kind of sweeten the Bundesliga uh, one for me a little bit. Yeah. I don't take off points for it not being the original because I, I really do not know what is the longest like in-use cup that there is, but so many of them were stolen or lost yeah. that, like or just kind of redesigned five years ago. It does seem to be like, if you're looking for tradition, like I looked at US Open Cup, which similar to Champions League, Maybe doesn't uh, like isn't quite on the same level of a soccer league thing, and it's just like classic design. It's a classic look. It looks like inspired by the Champions League trophy, and then you do some research and you find out that like there was an entirely different one used as recently as like 1999. So (laughs) it's not quite that like tradition that maybe I would like for my cup. I also kind of like the uh, the Championship trophy for the you know the English Second Mm -hmm. League.
0: Oh, not like, but I'm intrigued by it. It just looks so delicate. It's all, it's all skinny. It looks like it could just break in half if you're not really, really careful with it.
1: Is that what you see? That, I want a thing I can drink out of and have my name <laughs> carved into. That's what I think you should be. How about looking the Bundesliga for. bowl? Can, can you drink out of it? Is I don't it? Know. Is there that much of an indent? I there's, feel like you have to like drink very carefully. I mean, and, like
0: you could, but the edge—I don't know what you call it—you know—the edge of the bowl is very, very big. So there's a long yeah. travel between the actual bowl segment and the yeah. and the edge you'd probably lose a lot along the way
1: no thank you no thank you i've also learned from indiana jones and the not, last crusade don't drink shiny things
0: i'm sorry I, I i spoke over you what were you saying
1: i said i also learned from indiana jones and the last crusade that you shouldn't drink uh liquids out of like shiny metal containers that seem kind of gaudy and ostentatious it can lead to problems
0: oh yeah to answer robert's question um the wooden cup is definitely yeah. the best thing to win <laughs>
1: The Cup of a Carpenter. Yes, sir. The Cup sir. of a Carpenter. Absolutely. Oh, that movie's great. It really is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think um, so. I haven't seen it in a while. I'm sure there's problematic stuff in there, but you know, whatever.
0: <laughs> I I rewatched Red of the Lost Ark about a year ago, and it was mm-hmm. problematic. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, Showing Kellekar with the next question. Showing Kellekar asks, "What is typically included?" in a player contract. So Sherman says he's not asking about the, the special cases like Stefan Schwartz not being allowed to go into space, but <laughs> the more basic stuff like the per-match bonuses, the goal per-goal bonuses and appearance bonuses and so on. So what's included in the typical player contract, Taylor? Mm.
1: So Daryl has looked up the kind of generic player contract. I'm yes. going with my my best guess, which is I'm going to say my assumption is that it is not dissimilar from a kind of normal contract, a normal employment contract yes. or what have you, where it's a lot of legalese, a lot of provisions for if this, then that and must do this and must abide by this. Uh, I'm going to assume that there are some like morality clauses in there, generally speaking. Uh, and then obviously stuff pertaining to like the amount you're being paid per week or annually or what have you. You've got those details in there as well.
0: You are exactly right. So I looked, it was on a law firm's website. Web I looked at essentially a sample Premier League contract, right? And you're right. The basics of it is very much like signing any employment contract. And it's essentially about you showing up to work, right? So, I mean, I didn't, obviously, I didn't type it all out by just copying the contract and then read it to you. That's going to be very boring. But here's the, here's the highlights of what's in a Premier League contract in order, right? First of all, you agree to play in the games, right? That's in the contract mm. that you, you agree to show up and play in the games, um, you also agreed to show up for community and sponsor events within reason, which I think is a really interesting way of phrasing it
1: why do you Why do you find that interesting
0: because i mean you 're agreeing to show up to it makes me think of when you see a player showing up to a commercial sponsor event. Mm-hmm. There's not like a, I will show up to five of these a year type thing, at least in this standard contract. You're essentially just trusting the club to only commit you to that, to a number of events that's within reason, right? You're not doing like 50 of these a week.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I think not, but that, that is a good reminder of like why for as much flack as agents get and how much I often do not enjoy agents, like that is a thing that you and I wouldn't sign an agreement if it was like, yeah, you just have to make appearances. We're not going to specify how many or where, but like you just yeah. got to do it. We'd be like, no. Yeah. Like players do have to take a lot of faith into account with these contracts, and yep. I think that's where agents do have their like their uh, a- like their clients in mind. Certainly, sometimes maybe they're looking out for themselves a little bit when it comes to some of that money, but it's legalese. It's difficult. It can be a lot. The other thing
0: that really stood out to me is an agreement in a lot of contracts that you won't wear or promote things that clashes with sponsors or suppliers, right? So if um, if the club is like a Nike club, you can't be going around flashing your Adidas stuff all the time. That Just that kind of
1: thing. Um, I bet there's provisions in there for if you're an athlete for another organization. Well, there are just
0: you- also image rights negotiations. And so the, the thing I saw was obviously a standard Premier League player contract, right? But mm-hmm. if a really high-profile player comes into the league... I will guarantee that they um, have their own image rights, like separately negotiated to make sure that they have, uh, you, know, you can wear the stuff that the the companies they're working with and also have the rights to literally the rights to their own image so they can monetize mm-hmm. it themselves. And it's not just that the club can always monetize it. Um, right. So if you're a big name player, you definitely can negotiate that stuff. Um, another thing in the contract, which you would just assume was there, but you don't really think about it. Expenses are covered. Meaning, if you have to go and stay in a hotel, like say you're a team from London and you're going to Newcastle and you're staying overnight in the hotel, your expenses will be covered by the team. Like it's obvious, but it has to be in the contract. Otherwise legally, you could just be asking the player to pay for his own hotel room.
1: Yeah, it's strange how much stuff has to be specifically spelled out for fear of things uh, getting misconstrued or or flipped around. Because we had that one story about the guy who wanted a house in his contract. He gets a new house every year and they built him a Lego house. Like, got to be specific.
0: You you do have to be specific. Um, The other thing that jumped out at me was um, a lot of agreements about what happens if the player becomes incapacitated and completely unable to play. Right. So in the contract I saw, there was an agreement that the club could give uh, 12 months' notice and then terminate the contract. But it meant that, like, if you get incapacitated, you still get a full year's wages. Right. Um, there were also some things about if you're not incapacitated, but you're like injured for a long time, then we can pay you 12 months' full salary and then for the next six months, half salary. And it's on like a sliding scale, like that, if you're permanently um, injured and unable to play. Uh, another thing that jumped out at me. Vacation. Players get vacation. Which you never think about, right?
1: No. But that does then explain why you have certain players like uh, like out of the country when there's a league game happening, if they've got it built into their contract that they can take vacation at a certain time or yeah. with a certain amount of notice. Yeah. The sam- I get that.
0: The sample one I saw said five weeks holiday, right? Five mm. weeks vacation. If you're an international player, then it's kind of tough, right? Because you're when you're say if you're away with the England national team, you're not with your club. So I don't think that that would, uh, I don't think you'd be able to like have an extra five weeks outside of that. No. Um, but yeah, so the vacation is in the contract. But it's definitely one of those weird things where you could argue to your boss at your office. And I made this argument when I was at um, a certain magazine that if we get more vacation, we'll be more rested and we'll perform better. But most most office managers and bosses are not really interested in that argument, right? Unless they're really progressive whereas with soccer teams they genuinely do believe in that and want to give you rest to make sure that you can perform to
1: 100%. I mean sure, I would argue that them knowingly giving you that break at a time when they know you're then going to have to go play for your national team in other competitions and being like we wash our hands of it but if you get hurt we want money. But, <laughs> like I feel like think, that's a little a little bit uh, self-serving for think them. Think how
0: many times you see players uh, come back from international break for like a World Cup or a tournament. Mm-hmm. And then they're allowed to join preseason training later than everybody else. Even though they're available, they're still given like an extra two weeks to go and recover, right? So th- I think clubs do take it into account more than your average place of employment would.
1: Maybe. Okay, I can see that. I mean, yeah, I would, I would assume that they're sort of better compensated and have more like strict provisions for themselves than, say, me working in an office job.
0: <laughs> and then there is the basic thing of your wage and how often you'll be paid. Right? That's mm-hmm. just the basic thing. Is it every two weeks? Is it every month? The uh the sample contract I saw was paid every month. Um and then the thing that I think that Showen was really asking about, the bonus structure, right? It's individual to every player, but you can you can negotiate a goal bonus, an appearance bonus, mm-hmm. a clean sheet bonus if you're a defender, um a points one bonus, just you know, for every point we win, I get this many, this many pounds um on top. There's also some of the weirder ones, a loyalty bonus. Like, if you stick around for three years, we give you an extra £300,000.
1: I mean, that's nice. I'll take an extra yeah. 300000 Do we get that?
0: We, I, I guess, but it's our own money that we're paying ourselves with.
1: That's fine. I get it first.
0: <laughs> you get it first. All right, so you're uh-huh. the most loyal. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs>
1: Despite leaving the country for two years, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: also, there are clauses to restructure your contract if you're Dar- well How educated.
1: many also clauses are there? <laughs>
0: All right, there's only only a couple more, I'm giving the full scope of what's in their contract here.
1: Sure.
0: This one's genuinely interesting. It's if you're relegated, then we can restructure the contract and pay you a lower wage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something that maybe Sunderland should have looked into.
1: Yeah, they definitely did not, and uh, dealt with that uh, not well.
0: (laughs) Final thing, there's also a team structure often for bonuses, right? So just like an appearance bonus or a, like a win bonus or a final league position bonus that will be negotiated by the entire team and your contract just says that you get to partake in that. So there you go. Hmm. There's all your bonuses.
1: Wow. Okay. That's, that's, and then you do have the other, like uh, the stranger ones. And Neymar has a lot of like very Neymar specific ones. But yeah, from a general standpoint, I think Daryl ticked all of the many boxes.
0: Yeah, I will say these are big deals, right? When I was growing up, we had a friend who uh, was with Aston Villa Right, he didn't make it with Aston Villa. I don't think he ever actually played a full game for. He never made an actual appearance for Aston Villa, but he was on the bench for a UEFA Cup match. And because the team had negotiated a certain bonus structure for European appearances, sitting on the bench got him an extra two thousand pounds. I can see that. Yeah, which to like, he was like you know eighteen, wasn't on a very high weekly wage. That was a big, big deal. To just get an extra two thousand pounds for for just sitting there, basically.
1: I mean, yes. Again, I would enjoy that as well. I, I sit around a lot, so I could do with an extra two thousand pounds for <laughs> sitting. That'd be fine. We'd
0: sub you in though, Taylor. We'd need you. All right, we need to sub you in. <laughs> All right, I'll take that. Was there? Um, was there any? I know that my list was pretty exhaust exhaustive, maybe exhausting. Was there any um like thing that you think is in most contracts that I didn't mention?
1: No, I mean, uh, like really, it is to me a lot of just complicated legalese that like. You kind of don't know what it is, but it seems enforceable, but it's also probably not going to be enforced. Like, I do think you still get some of that that almost requires more of a leap of faith. Because in my mind, when you have high, highly paid lawyers, highly paid agents, they're going to go through every single thing and make sure everything is ironed out and specified. And I do now wonder, like reading some and hearing what you said if it is more of a like yeah we can't really prepare for every eventuality we try to prepare for as many as we can but there is going to be have to be have to be a little bit of a leap of faith on both parties accounts and i think then that factors into future contracts that if a player if it's not expressly spelled out and they don't then do it like does the club try to force that into the next one like i think you can see sort of the evolution of contracts Based on the evolution of the relationship. So that is the only other thing that I think can sometimes be in there. But it's more of a case-by-case basis than a uh, generically applied sort of thing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think you start with a generic contract and then yep. you tinker with it from there, right? Uh, and
1: I, I, I would say so.
0: I would argue that it depends how famous the player is, how much tinkering gets to happen. <laughs>
1: yes so (laughs) yes how much how much is tolerated is definitely based on your fame and notoriety levels and maybe daryl your grooming levels because i think if you're more groomed and if you know if you're more marketable then i think maybe they're going to give you a little bit more money do you really think that no but it helps me transition into talking about manscaped
0: (laughs) today's show is sponsored by manscaped uh thank you manscaped for sponsoring today's show Manscaped is a long-time sponsor of the Total Soccer Show, and you've definitely heard us talk about how Manscaped um, has the tools for taking care of your family jewels, keep everything nice and trimmed down there. But, Taylor, we got a gift in the mail this week. Yeah, we did. And it's for taking care of something not down there but up there.
1: Yeah, in inside of your head. Uh, yes, we 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 were sent uh, the weed whacker, which is an electric nose and ear hair trimmer. Uh, yeah, it does double duty, and that is the one that I feel like is is more relevant to me because for some reason, though the hair on like the top of my head doesn't seem to be as growing aggressively, the nose hair really you know keeps going at all times, and it's an easy one to overlook. And then suddenly you realize you've got like nose hair, and you don't need that. No one needs visible nose hair. With mm-hmm. the weed whacker, they make it very easy to deal with. It's got the skin safe uh, skin safe replaceable head. High high-performance motor, cordless, and is rechargeable and waterproof. A waterproof nose trimmer feels like we're living in the future. It's a low bar to live in the future, but it definitely means we're in the future.
0: So I did not own a Weed Whacker until Mm -hmm. Manscaped sent me one. Receiving it made me realize, take a look and realize that I need to use it. (laughs)
1: i i get gentle reminders from my wife about like maybe maybe take care of that i
0: I should have been receiving those reminders apparently um i have not been standards are apparently lower um in this
1: house (laughs) it's 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 that it's the nose hair and then it is the ear hair over time that i think that's a thing that like like when when, like men get the puberty talk i think we need to get like the the preparatory like oh and by the way once you turn like 50 it just starts shooting out of the ears (laughs) and you got to deal with that man i'd say mid 30s maybe that too
0: yeah. <laughs> this tell you it's not no. turned 50 right
1: I have not I have not next year <laughs> that's why I went with that one I feel like if I just like make up a number and then put it off in the distance I don't actually have to deal with it that's my <laughs> approach but if I did then I do have the Weed Whacker which will allow me to handle it with grace
0: so we appreciate the Weed Whacker we also appreciate the original product um the the lawn mower we are now up to the lawn mower 3.0 though the third generation trimmer that features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents uh mm-hmm. millions of men can uh, guarantee safety down there when using the lawn mower 3.0 um there's also the crop preserver which is an anti chafing deodorant and moisturizer for what's between your legs um you can per- purchase the new perfect package 3.0 kit at manscaped.com, where you'll get the biggest bang for your book, which is all the 3.0 products.
1: That's right. And you can get 20% off and free shipping of those products with the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. Uh, 20% off at manscaped.com uh, using the code TSS20. Your partner, your body, and your nether regions will thank you, uh, your partner especially, if you get that nose and your hair under control.
0: And we thank you, manscaped.com, for sponsoring the show and for sending us periodic reminders to keep everything tidy.
1: Daryl Grove, we do indeed. We also have a question about centre backs, which I want to ask you from Raghav Gupta. Why can centre backs stay competitive at older ages?
0: I'm not sure they can anymore. But I think hmm. the I think you used to think of it as it doesn't matter if you lose your pace because you've gained in terms of reading the game, in terms of experience, and the, all those things will make up for maybe not being as sort of physically dominant as you used to be. I th- honestly think the game has changed so much recently that if you are going to be an older centre-back like, say, Sergio Ramos, you need to absolutely be on top of your physical game because the game is played so far up the field these days. There's so much high pressing, uh, so many pacey forwards that you'll face that I just don't think you can get away with being an old, slow centre-back anymore. So the only way to stay competitive at an older age as a centre-back is to do what everybody else does and stay in absolutely tip-top shape.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with that, but I think I, I do understand where Raghav is coming from, and I think I I agree with the premise a bit more because you're right that you still have to stay in like peak physical condition to be a footballer. But I think you can more afford to be a tall, slow-ish center back as opposed to a tall, slow-ish attacking winger or a fullback. I think in the modern game, I think... Like a lack of pace is more forgivable for center backs than it is in other positions, unless you're playing a super high line and you have to kind of be fast, in which case that's what managers go for. But I think you do, like, I think if you're looking at the oldest players on a generic team, my assumption would be that goalkeeper is near there, like the top of the list, and then probably center backs and maybe the forward are the ones. And I think it's probably because you have to do less box-to-box running and maybe slightly less consistent physicality in terms of getting taken down and getting tackled. Yeah, you're going to knock people around, but maybe because you are the sort of arbiter of that contact, maybe you being the one to engage the contact just makes it a little bit more forgiving.
0: But let's look at the highest-level teams right now, right? Like, Look at Liverpool. Their centre-backs are Virgil van Dijk, who's, what, 27? And Mm -hmm. Joe Gomez, who's in his early 20s, right? The reason I went to Sergio Ramos, he was the only really high-profile team at a really high-profile, sorry, only high-profile centre-back at a high-profile team who was, like, getting deep into his 30s that, that I could think of.
1: I mean, Bonucci would like a word with you. How old's Bonucci? 33.
0: Okay, all right. All right, you're you persuading me then. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think there's. I mean, I mean Chiellini in there too, although that's Juve. I mean, I think like Chris Smalling is probably getting up like close to thirty if he's not already thirty or thereabouts. Uh, but then again, you notoriously you are way better than I am at ages. I just think that like like even with what you just said, like Virgil Van Dyke is twenty seven, and we're talking about a time period in which like we have said like we're talking about nineteen year olds and being like ah oh, we'll see what happens. This is kind of a make or break time period for them. Like I do think football is trending younger, so maybe it's worth looking at it from that perspective of like nowadays being. 30 is maybe what being 35 used to be.
0: Yeah, like, for example, uh, Matt Hummels, I think, is a good example. He Mm -hmm. maybe just lost a bit of a step in terms of his, his speed. And it was enough for Bayern to sort of say, all right, that's enough, we'll send you back to Borussia Dortmund. You can mm-hmm. see out your years there, right? And there was definitely a spell earlier this season where Jerome Boateng, he's only 31, but like there was definitely a suggestion that he wasn't physically where he used to be and that maybe he was on the way out. And it seems like he's essentially got himself back into really, really high-level shape and now he's back in the Bayern team um, and looking good. I just think there's a lot less, a lot less leeway given to older centre-backs at this point.
1: Okay. I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm not honestly, I'm not sure I agree with you because I, I do think it's the position where you can age a bit more aside from goalkeeper and still maintain at least more value than you can in other positions where there is more dependency on speed and physicality.
0: Well, can we settle on this then, that if you are playing for a team that presses high up the field, then it, the, that old rule of centre-backs being allowed to be mm-hmm. older and stick around yeah. doesn't hold as well with a team where you're going to be at the halfway line and potentially in a foot race with a fast player.
1: We can, uh, as long as I'm then allowed to call you ageist.
0: I mean, you can. I mean, you can. I'm older than all the people we're talking about, except for <laughs> maybe maybe Claudio Petarra. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: You're so only as old that, as you for feel, exa- Daryl.
0: Actually, just to continue this, uh, Benucci and Chiellini, Juve do not play a high line. Yep. Right. So I think it really mm-hmm. does depend on the on the team and and on the system that you can get away with it if you are a team that sits in a mid yeah. block at the well, highest
1: yeah i mean that's that's what i'm saying it's like you're arguing that like if you're going to play like the fastest highest line it's all based on speed and pressing then right. yeah but, but if you're not playing that system i think it's more forgiving
0: but the very best teams are, are trending towards playing a really high line and like really dominating high up the field
1: all right there we go <laughs>
0: I see that's as close to agreement as we're going to come, right? So we should move (laughs) on to Taylor Judd's Mm. question. Um, Okay, so we actually have two questions here from Taylor Judd and from Jeremy Griever. Basically, we're late in answering these, right? But I still think Mm. they're interesting questions. They, they, They were asking questions about the Bundesliga as the Bundesliga was coming back. But I almost feel like, weirdly, we can cheat and we're better positioned to answer them. After watching the Bundesliga for two or three weeks now. So, Taylor Judd says, I'm your typical American fan who watches the Premier League, the US men's national team, and a bit of Major League Soccer. Taylor says, With the Bundesliga starting, what are two to three non-American, non-English things I may not know about the Bundesliga, but should?
1: Hmm. I think probably the biggest one is a thing that you've talked about on Soccer One, We've talked about greatly, but it is 50 plus one. Uh, both it's worth knowing about from the kind of debate about whether or not it will continue to exist format, but also for an American who maybe knows about like the Green Bay Packers and being fan owned, and how wouldn't that be nice. You do have that rule in place that requires clubs to be fan owned. And I think that does sort of create this idea that the teams care more about the fans, the fans have more involvement. And I think, for me at least, that does like make me more inclined to enjoy the Bundesliga from that perspective of the fan voices matter, I think, a lot more than they do in, say, the Premier League.
0: Yeah, I think that's a definitely a big thing to worth knowing because it's. I don't know if it's unique, but it's at least... The Bundesliga is the highest profile soccer league where that is the case, right? Where yeah. you have to be majority uh, fan owned. Um, I would say one of the interesting thing about the Bundesliga is the way that relegation works, right? So mm. 18 teams, the bottom two, 17 and 18, go down. The 16th place team faces a playoff against a team from the second Bundesliga, the division below. And I'd say that the relegation fight is really interesting this year in the Bundesliga. Because Paderborn are essentially dead and down, right? But then you've got Werder Bremen, Fortuna Düsseldorf and Mainz. They're they're the three teams fighting to avoid those last two spots. But I find it really interesting those last two spots. They're not just both below the dotted line and you both go down. Like It's much better to finish 16th than 17th, for example. Mm -hmm. Because you've still got a chance if you finish 16th.
1: All right. Uh, what, what else do you think, uh, uh, Like, what, what do we say, non-American English things that people should know? I
0: think just the big name, well, one big name that everybody's talking about, Kai Havertz at Bayer Leverkusen. I think okay. he scored on Friday as Bayer Leverkusen got back to winning. He is this young, dynamic, weirdly tall, skinny striker <laughs> that is absolutely tearing up the Bundesliga for Bayer Leverkusen. He's going to be a name that everybody, everybody knows in a couple of years, but right now he's sort of a... Bundesliga watcher's secret, right? Because he's not mm-hmm. playing in the Premier League and he hasn't had that much time with the German national team, he's still somewhat under the radar, even though he's as talented as pretty much any big-name uh, young attacker that you could name.
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. And I would extend that to the coaches as well. Like, uh, n- Not Kai Havertz as a coach, but that you do have, if you are uh, predominantly a Premier League Viewer, there's going to be managers in the Bundesliga that you are going to see in the Premier League a couple years from now because of what they're doing in the Bundesliga. Because with Byron's dominance, you have to find ways to try to be competitive, to try to get that edge. And so you have young, young managers like uh, Julian Nagelsmann, who what, started coaching when he was, I think, 11 years old. 28, uh, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and when I say started coaching at 28, we mean like in the Bundesliga, mm-hmm. like, or like Bundesliga 2. Like you have that level of, I would say, genius, but then you have innovative thinkers and people who are trying different things and you get different tactical approaches and tactical wrinkles you had hamburg last year with like the the center or the goalkeeper as your third center back and you get little things that i think are 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 very interesting and little nuances that maybe you don't get in other leagues uh like say the premier league
0: yeah i think yeah so there you go taylor those are two or three things not you taylor the other taylor those are two or three things to keep a look look out for in the bundesliga the final question of today goes to jeremy griever Jeremy Griever says, if you had to pitch a Bundesliga team to watch for a novice American soccer fan, which team would it be and why?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's probably the teams that we talk about a lot. I want to say Schalke because they have and have had so many why Americans. Why would you do that to Jeremy? But it's not. His eyes are That's what I'm saying. I want to say that because of the American influence there, but no. Instead, I would go with the obvious ones. I think if you want to just root for a team that's going to win and play pretty soccer and score a bunch of goals, you watch Bayern Munich. If you want to watch for like that same thing, but to a slightly less degree in terms of the winning, it would probably be Borussia Dortmund, and I think that is the team that I would most recommend because they have so many attacking options, they've got so many young players, they've got some veterans in there, they can rotate around, they're always like maybe about to close that gap and then kind of don't so they're they're interesting from that level, but they play really exciting soccer and they have an American. So that's that's my number two nominee. I think it's Bayern, at Dortmund, and then uh, I, I guess I'll throw in Leverkusen or maybe Leipzig. Daryl, of those two, who would you throw?
0: Leverkusen or Leipzig? Right mm-hmm. now, for an American, I would go yeah. Leipzig because Tyler Adams is there. Right. Um, but I prefer watching Leverkusen. Like yeah. leipzig's style of play is fascinating in that sort of like we'll play it forward quickly and if we lose it we'll swarm and win the ball back but it's not particularly pretty right it's effective without being particularly pretty i find it frustrating to watch sometimes Uh, leverkusen's a lot more interesting i think
1: all right there we go so do you agree with those three then is is it if you're just a neutral and you want to watch some good soccer is it bayern dortmund and uh leverkusen i think it's
0: dortmund number one right because there's definitely the if you've got on the dortmund bandwagon right now as, an, as a novice American soccer fan, you've got the rise of Gio Reyna to watch out for every week, right? So there's that, like, is he starting? If, like, does he play? How does he do? Um, and you've got that thing of, they're definitely second to Bayern right now, but they're constantly on the rise and will this year be the year they do it? It just gives you something to really invest in for the future, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like if you go with Bayern, I mean, one, there's no American beyond Chris Richards, um, who, by the way, scored the winner for Bayern 2 in the region, Liga. That's not how you pronounce it. The Regional (laughs) Uh league today. Um, But but outside of Chris Richards, there's no one who's even close to the Bayern first team who's American. Um, Plus, they already keep winning the Bundesliga all the time. So that's why I think Dortmund's a much better club to invest your fandom in if you're a novice Mm -hmm. American soccer fan.
1: All right, there we go. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. I would say Dortmund, like, I, 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 I'm going to double down on my, like, they're definitely a wait till next year sort of team, where it always feels like, but next year, they're really yeah. going to put it together, and then something de But that's
0: really exciting, because one year next <laughs> yeah. year really will be the year.
1: You, you keep telling the math but it, that.
0: But it was that one time, right, with Klopp and Lewandowski and uh-huh. all that. It did yep. finally happen that one year, so that year could be coming around again. Did Tuchel win it?
1: I feel like they won with Thomas Tuchel at least once, and then it all kind of uh, fell apart. He after
0: won that. The, the DFB Pokal, the Cup, but I okay. don't think he ever won the league.
1: Well, then, shame on Thomas Tuchel. Yeah,
0: so yeah, ne- next year could be the year with Dortmund, so it gives you something to look forward to perpetually. How about that? Um, I did mention there were a couple of things that um, I felt like I wanted to get my opinion out there like of uh, the German stuff that I wasn't involved in this week on the Total Soccer Show Um, the other one, Taylor, was that Kimmich goal for Bayern Munich um, the the chipped goal that won the big Mm -hmm. game Um, I thought that the thing that nobody mentioned was Julian Brandt being out of position okay So remember you and I talked a lot about how Julian Brandt would help overload on the right side uh, for Dortmund. So you would end Mm. up with like Hakimi and Hazard and Julian Brandt would have drifted over there and caused this overload. So in the build-up to the Bayern goal, Brandt had done that. And then when Dortmund had shifted to the defensive shape, he had just like wandered back to the right side. So he was missing on that left-hand side. Um, He eventually goes over there. But he leaves this huge gap. You know, we talked about how like Schalke couldn't find the, the space between the lines of Dortmund in that first game back. Mm-hmm. And it was because the, uh, the, uh, Brandt and Hazard were really tight to Dahoud and Delaney and there was just no way through. When Brandt was there, when he eventually got back in position, he left this massive, massive hole. Before Kim- so Kimmich scores from that hole. And before Kimmich scores, Thomas Muller is in that hole. And I take that as the evidence and indication that um, you've left a big hole in your defensive shape. If Thomas Muller appears somewhere, that's the evidence that you've left a big hole in your defensive shape. And then that's where Kimmich scores from. I Mm -hmm. honestly think uh, Julian Brandt's brief defensive lapse is uh, is what's separated Bayern and Dortmund in that game.
1: I'm going to guess Lucien Favre agreed with you. Why is that? Because he subbed out Julian Brandt at halftime. Did he? Yeah.
0: Interesting.
1: Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna guess he was not too thrilled by that defensive uh, showing either.
0: Yeah, and this isn't. I'm not saying that uh, Bobby's analysis was no good, or that Manuel's uh, Manuel's analysis was no good. But that was definitely the thing. If I'd been on the show, that's the thing I would have been drilling down on.
1: Okay. All right. Well, you know, quit going to Boston, then quit taking care of your health and surviving.
0: I will not quit going to Boston. (laughs) It is literally saving my life. (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right, fine. Yeah, uh, how, how was how was your time in Boston before we go? I mean, on that note? The,
0: the hospital stuff went fine, but apart from that, it was just sitting in the hotel room because we we're still scared to go outside in Boston because coronavirus. I saw you inspecting some trophies. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we did. We went for one walk across the Longfellow Bridge um, just to get out and get some fresh air. And yeah, underneath the Cambridge side of the Longfellow Bridge, someone has set up a trophy room. Which is a really like cool, weird little thing, and people have started adding their own trophies to it. Whenever they win a trophy, a lot of people will go and add their trophy to the Longfellow Bridge trophy. Room.
1: All right, are you so? When you win something, is that where it's going? Yeah, I mean that's what I said on Twitter,
0: right? And I, I mm-hmm. think I mean that. What I would, but normally when we so we've won the the league with our THP team what once we just got a glass for it, right? So I don't, I don't feel good putting a glass there. I would need some sort of Player of the Year trophy <laughs> from DHP for me to go and for me to go and put over there. Maybe I could go that feels home. Like fishing. Maybe that could, feels like fishing. I could go home and get some of my Netherton Colts Player of the Year trophy and uh, put put those under the Longfellow Bridge.
1: Netherton Colts. Yeah,
0: U13s. Where'd you grow up again? Uh, the West Midlands.
1: Yeah, I know. I was from more to England. I
0: played for the Netherton Colts.
1: <laughs> it seems very formal and fancy. Do you think you
0: obviously have not no. been to Netherton?
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Anyone from the West Midlands would have found that absolutely hilarious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm going for, baby. Um, Anything else, Mr. Grove, before we uh, end this weekend edition of the show?
0: There is, I promised a long show, right? Um, We had sort of come to an agreement that because everybody's stuck at home, coronavirus, looking for entertainment, to just do a quick share of what we've been watching at the end of every show. So what have you been watching, Taylor? And I know the answer.
1: I've been watching a a few different things, but the two that I'll mention here are sort of not similar at all uh, the first one escape to new york is just wonderful and you have to watch that it's great the second one is on netflix it's working moms which is i think created by Catherine reitman uh who you might better know as maureen ponderosa from <laughs> always sunny in philadelphia I uh i it's hard to overlook that but the show is uh is very great albeit canadian so you got to get past that but then it's good so working moms on what streaming service Uh, Netflix. All right. And
0: where would I find Escape from New York? Because I genuinely... Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. I've never Mm. seen it, wasn't interested in it, until you described the premise, and then I thought, okay, interested.
1: I mean, it's the the easiest... I've always heard that uh, Talladega Nights was sold as Will Ferrell NASCAR. Like, that is the pitch that you'd immediately greenlight, but Kurt Russell... Uh, is trying to escape from Manhattan, which is now the prison for America in the dystopian future, is a movie that I th- I feel like easily greenlit as well. Does it does it hold up? In what way? Like, is it still
0: like funny without being cheesy? Like, does the action look good or is the action look dated? You know what I'm saying?
1: Uh, no, I think it's pretty good. There's a whole like uh there's a whole gladiator fight at one point that that holds up, and it's it's John Carpenter, so you get practical effects. The weird one I'll say up front is that he has to. I won't spoil. Like basically, the plot is the president's plane crash lands in Manhattan, which is now a pre- uh, a uh, a prison. And Snake Pliskin, which is Kurt Russell's character, has to go in and and get the president. His name is do Snake. Did you say he like his name? Oh, well, his uh, I forget what his real name is. It's uh, it's something Pliskin. He goes by Snake. All right. Call me Snake. That's his first line. <laughs> he delivers it sincerely, and it comes off. I will say the way he gets into New York is by flying a glider onto the top of the World Trade Center, which is slightly strange. It's slightly strange to see that. But that aside, it's pretty cool to see. Uh, and filmed, no sets. I think it's all on location in St. Louis after a massive fire in the 70s or early 80s. Um, so it's, it's cool from that standpoint. Uh, but then it's Kurt Russell. It's Ernest Borgnine. Uh, Isaac Hayes is the Duke, the villain. Uh, it's got a sweet like, uh, New Wave John Carpenter score. He did that himself. And it's mm. a lot of long tracking shots that... Like actors have to be staged just right for them to work and he pulls it off every time. So it's it's a it's a good, it's a well-made movie that is fun to watch. And then Working Moms is just uh, funny to watch, albeit with a lot of domestic drama.
0: All right. I'm in for both. I'm in for both. I'm persuaded. Uh, the two things we've watched recently, um, do you know about HBO Max? Uh, yes. So that, that launched May 27th. There is an absolute treasure trove of stuff suddenly available on HBO Max. Um, the two things that I watched with my wife were um, that thing you do, the Tom Hanks mm-hmm. film from the nineties. Have you seen this?
1: Uh, yes, it's, it's been a very long time.
0: I'd never ever seen it. I really really like it. It's like set in the sixties. It's about a band that essentially yeah. has a one hit wonder, uh, and you sort of see the uh,
1: the the Oneters. You mean
0: the Oneters? Yeah. <laughs> so you see the mm-hmm. span the span of their career, and I watched it with this weird sense of dread, like thinking they were about to get screwed over at some point or there was going to be some dramatic disaster at some point. And what I really liked is in the end, it's sort of, it's kind of okay what happens, right? It's not like something terrible happens to them. It's just a thing that happens and then peters out.
1: Yeah. So, Which is, I think, a, an apt... Uh, review for that movie yeah Yeah. (laughs) well I enjoyed it I very much enjoyed that and then uh, it's a catchy song it's a catchy song they did well with that one
0: there's also all the Studio Ghibli stuff is available Mm -hmm. on HBO Max I'm not that familiar with it but I'd seen Spirited Away before like maybe 15 years ago so I rewatched that it was my wife's first time watching it we both really really liked it it's a lot like um, I think a lot of Pixar stuff is really inspired by this Japanese animation by uh, Miyazaki um, so it's really good to go back and watch that. So that's my, my okay. recommendation. If you're looking for something slightly weird and unsettling, but kind of fulfilling, spirited away.
1: I, okay. I think I think you've gone for two sort of different ones as well. I like that. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think coronavirus is a good time to be just sampling all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't normally watch because now you have the time.
1: Uh, Yeah, I agree with you. There's a movie that I have put off watching for a very long time, but always meant to called The Tartars that I I like kept the DVD. I bought the DVD when I was working at a record store uh, in Northern Virginia. And I was like I'm going to watch this. It's like a 50s movie. I think it's a Soviet movie. But it just looked very cool and I and I've been trying to get my my DVD player that I haven't used in like 4 years working again so I can uh take some time to watch that. Does
0: physical media still work? I guess you I guess you'll find I, out. We'll first. find out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also Heat. Watch Heat as many times as you can.
0: I Oh, okay. I'll give it another go. I'll give it another go. I just me and Michael Mann do not get along. I don't think
1: that's fair. Uh, I, I think he is he is an acquired taste. Unless you're like basically unless you're a woman, in which case you're never going to acquire that taste because Michael Mann movies are effectively men have to do things and women get in the way. I that is pretty much the plot of every Michael Mann movie.
0: That might be kind of my reaction.
1: to Oh, it, I mean, it's not. It is that is the major. Like I've tried to get my wife into heat two or three different times and every time i think she loses it when it's like oh the wife is complaining again great what a well-written character do you know what's better than heat what the heat incorrect Melissa McCarthy <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that, so i love that movie i will fight you <laughs>
0: <laughs> well let's not fight taylor let's say goodbye on good terms um yeah I um, think so. what's what's coming up on the Total Socks Show? so we're recording this on saturday do i assume there's some sort of weekend review coming up
1: You do assume that Ryan and I will be talking all things Bundesliga uh, on Monday, and then I think we'll probably do another uh, visit to the International Champions Cup of History uh, at some point next week as well. And
0: maybe some more listener questions. If you've got listener questions for us, com slash questions. Again, link will be in the show notes. Um, Chapter three of the TSS Book Club with George Qureshi will be back uh, this Thursday or Friday. And as usual, MLS Assist and Allocation Disorder – Both shows absolutely on fire in a good way um, Mm. for the past few weeks, um, I would (laughs) say. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. We will talk to you again very soon.